This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Happy post uh, super, the all new super mega Titanic Tuesday. Titanic Tuesday the third. There seems to be a hangover. I can feel it from the entire country. Hungover. Why? Why? From the party and festivals of last night. Huh. Interesting. I didn't feel that at all. You just went to bed? Yeah, pretty much. No, huge night for uh, Madam Hillary Clinton. Uh, yeah. And just getting used to saying that. Madam. And um, also for the Donster, Sir Donald Trump. Huge night. Huge. 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 You put, you put too much focus huge. on that age. It's just huge. Huge. It really was an incredible night. Trump uh, takes um, uh, Illinois. Ties virtually a virtual tie in Missouri, wins by point two percent. But right. holy cow, um, it takes Florida. Mm-hmm. We'll get to Rubio. Oof. Takes uh, loses Ohio to Kasich and which keeps him in the race. Which keeps him in the race and wins North Carolina. So Donald pretty much won four of the five. Tied one. That's the one that Cruz would have loved to have won if Kasich hadn't been in the race. <laughs> Blast! It's Kasich. his fault. It's his fault. Kasich got ten percent of the vote there. Cruz would have. Well, who? But see, Donald's argument is they won't all go to Cruz, which is true. I mean, totally statistically true. speaking, not everyone's going to move over. Right. To Cruz. Some so. will just eventually go to Clinton. Some people actually don't like Cruz. What? Yeah, I know. It's a weird thing. It's a very weird thing. It's a concept I think that's becoming more apparent as the days roll by. Uh, Rubio, Marco Rubio, gone out, out. He suspended his he suspended. He suspended his uh, candidacy. Here's the problem. We just got this graphic in from <laughs> CNN Politics. It's a it's an it's a graphic of all of the counties of Florida. Trump pretty much won all of the counties of Florida. He won every county except except I guess that's is that Miami. I think that's Miami Dade, Dade, County. Dade County. Yeah, where Rubio's from. So Rubio won his neighborhood, which I'm sure has a high concentration of the population. You know, yeah, but then Trump won the entire state. Yeah, it's, it's like, kind of like good job, Rubio. Yeah, home court advantage. Woo! It's it, it was a it was poor Rubio, and then he just got right out. He's like, okay, I'm out. After saying he was going to stay in, yeah. There's multiple. Well, you quotes. have to say that, or you people won't vote well, for you. Yeah, I know. So you have to say that until right after. But then afterwards, everyone pulls those quotes out and goes, "Oh, you're a liar." Like, but no, I he's do, a politician. It's I different. think. I think the fact that he was moving his furniture out of his house. Oh yeah, the, the U-Haul day. vans by <laughs> mid-afternoon were a little, little apparent. I think that gave it away. That's got to be hard though. You've been running for president. You've oh, everyone's kept saying you're the heir apparent. Hillary Clinton's afraid of you, and boom, now you're gone. Do you? Th- and you don't have a job. Does this? ruin rubio in florida no At, he runs as president and can't win no his own state i think a lot of people couldn't win their own state could he run f- i mean he's getting out of the senate yeah he's done there you know what he'll do well two choices uh he'll probably just you know trump says he can't even run for dog catcher now he's ruined politically 
Wouldn't that be hilarious <laughs> if he ran for dog catcher and nailed it? It's like, all right, step one. See, Donald? Getting on he city council so next. Let's go. But I think what'll be interesting is it all depends on what happens. So like, let's say Trump runs the table here and then Trump becomes president. It should then be utopia, right? Because now you have Trump and everyone that's angry at the government. Mm. Trump can get in there and fix the government. America will be great again. Like, what is the worst thing that could happen if you dismantled, I don't know, the IRS? The revenue. The main revenue for federal government. Yeah. yeah. No problems. <laughs> and then fine. you got rid of the education department and other and the EPA. What's the worst thing that could happen? Right. So I think we'll see uh, what happens. And then Marco Rubio will probably have a reincarnation somewhere. Or he'll just go be a lobbyist and make millions of dollars. Right. Which is probably what I would do. Or he'll market Trump water because he's thirsty. He'll start his own Rubio Rubio massage. <laughs> he was he was selling water on his website. Rubio was yeah. Oh, because Trump made fun of him. Right. So he started selling bottles of water with his name on it because he's thirsty. You don't want to you don't want to sell things that remind people of your weakest trait. Oh, you do. He could like have sweat bands. Make fun of it. No, Marco Rubio's got a future. I think he's forty four years old. You'd, you'd hope that it, I mean, this young. isn't That's the young. end. Yeah. You know, I don't know why. Because I mean, he he's one, he didn't really do much in the Senate, so I'm not sure why he'd want him back in government. Because he well, didn't do you know, anything when his, he was there. Well, his problem was he didn't do anything in in regards. If you are a pro ultra conservative Republican, what did he do? He was part of the elite. What do they call that? Eight the group of eight who were trying to forge a comprehensive uh, immigration bill. Oh, okay. Which is one of the hardest things on did, earth to do. Did he achieve it? The group of eight yeah. came fairly close. But did they? But if you notice, that's probably why he's losing and <laughs> yeah. is out. Right. But the problem is, I think you need some working together. But it's the same knock against Cruz when you put up his uh, surrogates that go on TV and they're like, so uh, what's what's something that he's done in his time as a senator? Oh, the Cruz is that, easy. That would lead to, and, and then it's like, well, they can't name a specific Here's piece one. of Here's legislation. One. He shut down the government. Well, that's not something you want to run on. I know. Because it failed miserably. That's the point. But Cruz is still in. And the only guy that was even on the stage as being a Across the aisle player was Rubio. Yeah. Well, and Kasich, but Kasich's going to get crushed now. Right. I, the, I heard, the weight I, of Trump will lean on him. I heard crushed. media outlets trying to. They're, they're saying the path for Kasich to the White House or to con, the convention is now wider. There's more wiggle room for him to actually make. Yeah, we're going to talk to Joe about this. I'm like, now we're just stretching math beyond yeah. the implications. Well, that, you mean the old math? The way that we always have done it for years. Yeah, this is the new map. This is the new map. That's confusing parents across the country. But my big confusion is, let's say, and I'm going to ask Joe this in just a few minutes. Let's say Trump takes, let's say Trump has 1,100 delegates. He only needs 1,200. Okay. And Kasich has however many he would have by that point. Let's say 700. Okay. And then let's. Not Kasich. Cruz has 700. Let's say Kasich has 100. What on earth is Kasich going to do at a convention that will matter? You can't disenfranchise well, all of Cruz's people. Maybe you do. And you can't disenfranchise Trump's people. So it just seems like we would say there's going to be a Trump-Cruz ticket and then like it or lump it. <laughs> 
Well, some would say there should be a Cruz Trump ticket, and then we just have to say, well, yeah. you didn't win. They'd, they'd better settle this yeah. before the convention. If you go to the convention and try to figure things out there, you're going to tick off a lot of people. Well, and even Donald's saying people will – there will be brawls. There will be oh, yeah. fighting in the street. But it's actually – you can't disenfranchise your voters. And Donald obviously but, would be the head of the ticket if he has 1,100 delegates. What, what Romney was talking about in his speech – that was last week, right? Yeah. His speech kind of was leading to the contested convention right, right. Where, where you would end up disenfranchising all these people. That was kind of right. the plan. Well, but, and it's still being well, talked about. Well, I think about. what they keep thinking about is then somebody would step in that would be the obvious better person than Trump. Who has yet to Who doesn't step exist forward. on this earth. Yeah. According to the minds of the people that follow Trump, there's nothing that will dissuade people from Trump. Mm -hmm. I mean, even if I shot somebody, really? That depends on who Trump shot before I would be like, ugh. Right. Ah, it's okay. (laughs) Honestly, was he a people people justifying the murder? Well, you know. It's weird. That's why I don't. The guy didn't pay his taxes. So (laughs) this isn't about. This is just about people want change. And it's apparently. If 40% of them want it. If this is America, you have to let the voice of the people stand. The voice of the people is saying something that necessarily the leaders don't want, but what are you going to do? Right, right, no, right. See, so it's crazy. You ruin the system if you decide that we know better than the general public. You know who really ought to be looking out is Bernie. Bernie, did Bernie win anywhere last night? Close. He was also a virtual tie with Hillary in Missouri. But I think she uh, yeah. she cleaned uh, any of the states that were of substance. Mm-hmm. She won. Yeah. When it, see, when it he's came, not, it he's came not down, getting out. It came down to a no. He's not getting out. He's because he's the only other voice out there, and he feels like he he's going to do better once you head west. Yeah. Head west. He Bernie. Feel, he feels like he has some places where he can make some inroads. I think he. Uh, He'll and stick Northeast. around for a while. Well, and, and and he's shaping her message, too. Yeah. By Bernie continuing to be there and they have debates and she has to talk directly to him, she can't do, I guess they say, the pivot and go yeah. after a general election. So Here's Hillary's, uh, here's Hillary's victory speech. We are moving closer to securing the Democratic Party nomination and winning this election in November. Because of all of you and our supporters across the country, our campaign has earned more votes than any other candidate, Democrat or Republican. So she's she's kind of done uh, in her mind with Bernie, which she, she was keeps trying to. Yeah, yeah. But he just keeps coming back that little energizer bunny. Um, but so now she's taking on she's now taking on Trump. Our commander-in-chief has to be able to defend our country, not embarrass it. Engage our allies, not alienate them. Defeat our adversaries, not embolden them. When we hear a candidate for president call for rounding up 12 million immigrants, banning all Muslims from entering the United States... When he embraces torture, that doesn't make him strong. It makes him wrong. Yeah, but have you tried a Trump steak? <laughs> I mean, strong and wrong really isn't a great rhyme. Yeah. I, 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 she needed her people to work on a better uh, applause line so there. Close. 
she that's I guess that's the point. So Trump, when he takes on Hillary, can you imagine his response to that? Huh? You've had how many years, Hillary? <laughs> You've had how many years to clean this up? <sighs> it's gonna get ugly, folks. It's gonna get ugly. Um, anyway, I think it's cool. I mean, there's stuff happening. It's movement. It's not motivating. A lot of people are discouraged. We'll talk to Joe Cannon in a minute, our Washington insider. He'll let us in on uh, what he's hearing on the ins- with the inside scoop from his friends and those in the know. But first, let's get to the headlines. Terry South, what's going on around the rest of the world? Thanks, Matt. President Barack Obama expect to make him, expected to make his Supreme Court nomination public today at, a, at an 11 a.m. Eastern press conference in the Rose Garden. So we have that to look forward to this morning. Wow. So that's just tossing in more fire <laughs> into all this uh, political stuff. So something we talked to Joe Cannon about. With 99% of the vote counted in Missouri's Democratic and Republican primaries, Hillary Clinton is leading Bernie Sanders by 0.2 percentage points. Donald Trump is beating Senator Ted Cruz by 0.2 percentage points. Since both races are separated by less than one percentage point, Sanders and Cruz campaigns can request a recount. Whoever wins will get some statewide delegates, but both parties, a portion of the bulk delegates based on who won each congressional district. Ultimately, says uh, Nicholas J.C. Pastor of St. Louis Post-Dispatch, the close margins amount to little more than bragging rights, with the winners being able to say that they won the state. Clinton won all four other state primaries Tuesday, Florida, Ohio, Illinois, and North Carolina, while Trump won Florida, Illinois, and North Carolina, John Kasich takes his home state of Ohio. If Ted Cruz wants the party establishment to coalesce around his candidacy in order to take down Donald Trump, he'll need to go to the Senate and apologize to Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, this Mm. according to CNN. After speaking with several senior Republicans, the cable outlet revealed that party leaders would like to see Ted Cruz offer a mea culpa for calling McConnell a liar last year on the floor of the Senate. It's always helpful when you admit you're wrong, says Senator Orrin Hatch. Hmm? This is crazy. He needs to come back. I imagine they'll want him to stand on the Senate floor. Yeah, in front of everybody. In front of everyone and apologize for calling out the leader of, of your your Senate, of oh, the body, man. a liar, which he did last year. This is crazy. It's kind of funny. <laughs> come back and apologize and we'll, we'll, we'll back you. We're not friends anymore until you apologize. Normally, uh, have you ever been, you've been to Washington, D.C., right? Uh, many, many times. Have you rode the Metro service before? Yes. It's chaos. It's chaos. They're closing it for 29 hours. Why? Uh, they're, they're doing some emergency investigation. They're, they're looking to inspect 1,200 pieces of equipment throughout the day. Trains experienced a delay on Monday due to a cable fire. So they're shutting down the entire system, Washington, D.C.'s metro subway system. How is everyone going to get to work? I don't know. Time to take a day off. My wife and I went there. When are they shutting it down? It's closed right now. It's down for 24 hours beginning. Well, midnight Wednesday. So tonight at midnight. Okay. They'll close it for 24 hours. Till Thursday. Oh, man. (laughs) But it'll be ready for Friday. It'll be ready. It's crazy. I don't know how people get to work. No. My wife and I went there on vacation. That's how we got to and from the hotel to the airport and all that. And. If that wasn't there, I, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess you could take a bus or something or yeah, call or walk. a taxi or you walk. Just walk but... a few thousand miles, hundred miles. That's crazy. A fifth installment of the Indiana Jones saga will arrive in theaters July 19th of 2019, 
Walt Disney Pictures announced today, or on Tuesday. The new film will feature Harrison Ford reprising his role as as Indiana Jones, uh, reuniting with director Steven Spielberg, who helmed the four previous films. The project remains unyet untitled. And I hope they don't go back to the last one where they had aliens and crystal skulls and all kinds of weird stuff. Man, you know, it's, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything. Just go back to removing, like, beating hearts from people and finding the... Those were the greatest. Finding the Ark of the Covenant. But isn't Indy getting old? Indy's really old, so we'll have to see how they CG his stunts or something. They were trying to bring in somebody else to be, like, young Indy. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, that kind of fell apart. Young Indy. No. It'll be it'll be some like it'll be some senior center trip. Yes. To some archaeology center. <laughs> he's on some four wheel drive jazzy scooter. <laughs> Get back here, fella. Oh, that's great. And I, I used to love those as a kid. Holy cow. Terrifying. Terrifying. All those snakes. Do you remember that? Mm -mm 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 -mm. Couldn't sleep for days. Uh, We will take a break, folks. When we come back, Joe Cannon will be on the line with us. We'll be talking about politics, his uh, review of the super mega all new Super Tuesday 3, and find out what he thinks is going to happen going forward. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the line uh, is our Washington insider, even though he doesn't necessarily like to be called that. He is the chairman of uh, CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. It's an organization you can find at fuelfreedom.org, and they are doing whatever they can in a healthy way to uh, lower your fuel costs here in the United States, increasing competition, strengthening the marketplace. Uh, Joe Cannon was also a candidate for the U.S. Senate in 1992, served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. EPA under Reagan in 83 to 85, and was an editor of uh, the Deseret News um, for many years as well. So he's kind of touched them all. That's why we made him our Washington insider. Joe, welcome to the show again, my friend. Hey, Matt. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Did you recover from last night? Did you have a good I, I, party last night? Well, I'm, I'm in Pennsylvania, and I actually last night went to the Penguins game, and they beat oh. the Islanders in overtime. So, oh, great. Uh, and right right now I'm sitting in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, right across the street from the <laughs> town square. where Is Phil? Have there. you seen Phil out there? Has he been walking around? It turns out there are dozens of statues of Phil all over this town. <laughs> really? Kind of interesting. He is a he's a popular little vermin. Hey, uh, talk talk to me, Joe, about what you what you thought last night. Um, Trump trounced four of the five states, apparently, um, and uh, Hillary Clinton dominated as well. Well, I, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on the Democrat side. I mean, she's got it all locked up. There's there's no you know possible pathway for Sanders to to get enough delegates to, to keep uh, Secretary Clinton from getting the nomination. I wouldn't say that Trump trounced in every state. He definitely trounced in uh, Florida. Yeah. Uh, but he did not trounce in Ohio, and it's you'd have a hard 
try and saying he trounced in Missouri. Yeah, that was a tie virtually. 0.2% of the vote, and it still hasn't been called by some people. And even in Illinois, he got uh, 38. I mean, I just, to be just really clear here, I'm really depressed about how well Trump is doing. <laughs> I, I don't want to hide that from readers, but but even our listeners. But having having said that, I mean, the fact is, he did do better than he has done. And so far in all the primaries, until last night, he's averaged a little over 35% of the vote. Last night, if you add all the votes up and do the math, he, he got 43%. But that's still 57% not Trump. Hmm. And, he, and he didn't get 50% of any of the states, even the state he did the best in, which is Florida. So, you know, I mean... Yeah, it's a good night for Trump. He's on his way. He's, he has slightly less than half the delegates he needs uh, to to go into the convention with, um, you know, the the right amount. But uh, you know, he's not there. If and um, do you do you believe, Joe? So if, if Trump were a more traditional Republican candidate from either, you know, the the ultra-conservative, the religious conservative, or the uh, kind of moderate arm of of the GOP, do you sense if he were just more traditional, then, then people would be coalescing and, you know, forcing certain people out more? So there's no question that this were an ordinary year, a regular year, although I'm not sure which years have been regular, right. but... Uh, it, but just, if this were more typical, uh, yeah, that right now everyone would be coalescing around Trump and saying he's the guy. But that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason it's not happening is uh, when you really drill down into the, uh, into the uh, exit polls in the various states, you know, a few things come clear. One of the things that comes clear is Trump does really well among people identify themselves as uh, less conservative and or moderate. So one of the one of the things that troubles me about the sort of the, the main talk on this, well, the establishment is right. coalescing uh, against Trump. But it's, it's not just the establishment. There are two pieces of the hashtag not Trump movement. And one of those is the established, so-called established. I don't know exactly what that is, but... Uh, definitely it's not Trump. But another part of it is the genuinely ideological Reagan conservatives. The Reagan conservatives are not supporting Trump. Uh, it's a different hmm. set of people who are supporting So You look at the self-identified, you know, strong, I'm not talking about so-called Reagan Democrats here, because that is where Trump is winning. Trump, Trump is, that's, that's the group he's winning. But there, Reagan Democrats were never actually... Reaganites. They just were not Democrats anymore. Hmm. One reason they were called Reagan Democrats. Um, some were conservative, but but if you take the sort of the ideologically, philosophically pure part of the Republican Party, which is definitely not establishment, they're all in at hashtag not Trump. Hmm. What, so, what? so you really have a three ring kind of a three ring circus going here. One of the things I keep hearing is. Um, open primary versus closed closed primary, where in the closed primaries, those seem to be the states that uh, Cruz keeps winning, 
is in a closed setting. An open setting is where these Democrats can cross over and vote in a in the a primary for um, a Republican. So is it? It might just simply be you have these crossovers, but some of these crossovers may not stay crossed over. Well, there's the conspiracy theory that some people have that there are Democrat crossovers to get Trump so he'd be easier because he'd be easier to defeat. I I don't put much stock in that. I I have never seen evidence that that both in Utah politics and nationally where that's a significant and anything other than a very marginal effect. But what is happening is lots of people who are not registered Republicans can vote. Many of those people are independents, and they do vote either way. And a lot of those people are attracted to Trump. So when you get into the internals of the of the exit poll, you, a few things become clear. Uh, uh, I only really looked at Cruz versus Trump, um, but Cruz really wins the people, the self-identified, very conservative folks. A, B... Uh, he wins. He Cruz wins more. Of the, the higher the education you have, the more likely you are to vote for Cruz. The less education you have, the more likely you have you are to vote for Trump. Interestingly, everyone's made a big deal about the evangelical vote, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. When you really look at the internals and you ask people, how often do you go to church? Do you go to church once a week, more than once a week, more than once a month, once a month. Less than once a month, hardly ever. The further you get to hardly ever, the better Trump does. The further you get to once a week or more, the better Cruz does. Hmm. So the, the evangelicals, a lot of people describe themselves as evangelical. They might live in Athens, Georgia. They consider themselves evangelical. But when you really drill down on church attendance, it's really sort of a, I don't know the, what the right term is, but a practicing evangelical. Um they do go, they do break for Trump. So one of the, I think, lessons learned so far is, is that the so-called evangelical block, evangelical vote, is not quite so monolithic, and you really need to break it down into sort of, I'm just making up the word for this, sort of, sort of orthodoxy. The more of an orthodox evangelical you are, the more likely you are to be voted for Trump, uh, actually, and or Rubio. Yeah. Uh, so that's an interesting pattern. So what you have is the, the mainstream folks are saying, well, look, it's the establishment against Trump. But really, it's the establishment and another very significant cohort of the Republican Party, namely uh, what I'll call genuine conservatives, philosophical conservatives. Yeah, those. Yeah. So it, but it's, it's also it just it, it even seems like um, uh Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, some of these, you know, historic, I don't know what you'd call them, the voice of supposed conservatism, they they even are, they, they'll support Trump, they'll support Cruz, but they don't, they're, they still seem angry at the, and they're the ones seemingly spewing the establishment line. You're right. No, that's a completely fair point. So who is so? I mean, that, that's what's so funny about establishment. It's the mainstream folks, but it's also uh, these hardcore. Used to be, in my mind, right wing radio talk show hosts, but in fact, they're just insurgents themselves. A, B, maybe they're just in search of ratings. How they criticize other people, mm. you know? Say, so, and even on MSNBC, it's all Trump all the time. 
And so, you know, these guys get ratings. Maybe what's true is that Rush Limbaugh's crowd is a lot more like the typical angry Trump voter. And the, and the same thing with Kat Hannity. He's just a, a midget version of, of Rush mm. Limbaugh, by the way. But it's a, both of them, maybe they're appealing to this same audience, which isn't quite what it was perceived to be, but it's all sort of smoothed over as, well, there's right, there's center, there's left. But maybe on that right-hand side, you have um, much more of a bifurcation or trifurcation than we thought. Yeah. And Trump, and Trump has illuminated that. Wow. I mean, it's it's such an interesting thing. Not necessarily a conservative, not necessarily, you know, a, 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 an evangelical um, and he's he's leading the show. Joe, let's take a break. Come back and um, and talk more about this. I want to talk about what you think about Kasich going forward. Where is he going? And I want to also know what actually happens at a convention where Trump maybe has 1,100 delegates and Cruz maybe has whatever, 700. How on earth does that ever swing to another candidate, which it seems like many of the supposed – uh, elite in the GOP are trying to have happen. So more with Joe Cannon, folks, when we come back. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. everybody to the Matt Townsend show on the phone with us our Washington insider Joe Cannon who's helping us sort through uh, everything that went on on Super Tuesday the third last night major um, major major states were in play Florida all, all of the sudden it, when you think about just the Florida alone took out Marco Rubio huge and uh, Trump won Florida. Also, when we talk about um, uh, Illinois was in play, we don't even hardly hear much about that. Uh, Trump won Illinois despite all of the protests that were going on in Chicago and the problems around his Chicago event. So, uh, Joe Cannon, welcome back. Or maybe because of. Yeah. uh, uh, I mean, is that is that part is that the genius of Donald Trump? Is that well, you... I, I, I think the genius of Donald Trump is taking advantage of whatever circumstances come up. I, yeah. I, I don't I don't think he planned those attacks. But, but he uh, used it, yeah. Hey, what do you think? Um, Kasich wins, and he takes Ohio, which is a major kind of pivot state in this country, and uh, he, he, he handily won it for probably a variety of reasons, A, being the governor. But what do you think going forward? It seemed to have re-energized his his mindset. I don't see what happens moving forward with Kasich. No, I mean, look, I like John Kasich a lot. I think uh, way, 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 way back, I thought maybe a Kasich Rubio ticket would be uh, a big winner on the Republican side. That's not going to happen, obviously. Uh, a Cruz Rubio ticket could be successful. If you look at last night, it was, you know, I don't want to take away from the fact that it was a big Trump victory, but if you look at all those races without Rubio, and I'm assuming that, he, that Trump still wins Florida and gets the 99 delegates there, 
but it's also possible without a Rubio and without a Kasich in Florida, you might, you know, he, uh, Trump only got 45% of the vote, not only, but got 45% of the vote. So, but you don't know how that comes out. So just assume he gets the 99. But in each of the other cases, with Rubio out, they were very, very close. And it's highly unlikely that Rubio voters would have switched to Trump. So if you just make, and in most cases, it was just a, you know, very marginal percent. But if you look at what Trump did win, uh, and this is kind of giving him the, the lion's share of the uh, um, Missouri delegates, he gets 172 delegates, not Trump, he gets 111. With Rubio out, however, Trump gets 130, and not Trump gets 153. Hmm. So it makes a big difference going forward, I think, with Rubio out of there. And I think it would make a big difference if Kasich got out now. Yes, there's no pathway. Yeah. People talk about, well, we're heading into moderate states, and maybe that helps out. There, there are very few moderate states when it comes to Republican primary voters. So California, it's one of the most liberal states in the country, uh, yet the people who remain Republicans in that state are pretty conservative. So that California Republican primary is going to be a hotbed of conservatism. Maybe Trump does well there. I, you know, I'm not saying he won't do well. But to say that because California is more moderate than, say, Missouri hmm. uh, or Ohio or Florida, for that matter, North Carolina, uh, yeah, as a state, that's true. But we're talking about the Republican primary. And on both sides, both the Democrat side and the Republican side, the primary process is dominated by the edges of the spectrum not by the moderates who might come out and vote in a general election. So uh, the, the fact that uh, uh, Kasich is sort of comforting himself, oh, we're going to go into more moderate states. Yeah. I could take away, I could take away for Cruz. The answer is get out. If you're, if you're you know, not for Trump, uh, look, and I wasn't a Cruz guy ever, but I'm definitely a not Trump guy. Uh, okay, get out. If Rubio had gotten out and endorsed Cruz before the this before yesterday, it could easily have made a very big difference in all of the states but Florida, and it might have made a little difference in Florida. Who, who does? Do you but, sense uh, though? It seems like uh, Kasich won't do that because no, Kasich gave a victory speech last. Yeah, night. he no, said that. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's all in, and it's 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 crazy. Just like Cruz is all in. We, we, we're all talking now today about how, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Rubio, we're all talking today about how Rubio, you know, Florida, look, Rubio was dead before the Florida primary. Right. He, he, was, he was a dead man walking before uh, Florida. There was never, well, not in the last couple of weeks, no poll showed any movement in the direction of uh, uh, Rubio. And, you know, you had overwhelming polls all across the spectrum looking, saying, look, Trump is going to win Florida. If he had just dropped out and, you know, you know, swallowed his pride, he could have made a difference last night. It seems like that is the argument of that there is no establishment. Because if there were party bosses in some back room, this would be going a lot smoother, it seems like. They'd be moving people out. 
in I don't because you're right. Rubio would have gotten out for the sake of making sure a, a more stable supposed cruise could ride to the victory. But it does just kind of seem to show that there really isn't anybody in charge. Well, the, the, the quote establishment, close quote, is a fiction created by the Rush Limbaugh's and the Sean Hannity's of the world. Hmm. That I, I don't know what the, the establishment is, and if there was one, kind of likely I'd at least be pretty aware of it. Yeah, now, you'd know are about there, it. Are, are there lobbyists in Washington who don't want Cruz to win and don't want... Yeah, there are. Do lobbyists in... in uh, Washington that has anything to do with what happens in Ohio or Missouri? No. No, they don't. There are no power brokers like that. There are power brokers to a certain extent in terms of the fundraising and the money, but all of that, well, virtually all of that was pro-push, and again, he was a dead man walking almost from the beginning, no matter how much money he had. So, this whole establishment thing, it's a boogeyman created by Rush Limbaugh and others so they can have somebody that they can be virtuous and contradistinction to. So I'm not that, and so I must be pure and virtuous yeah. because that, the establishment, that must be bad. Well, tell me where the establishment is. The establishment was whatever that was, was all in for Bush. Right. And then Romney establishment. I mean, that, I think that's just what it is, is anybody that seems to have a hold of any power – or network in the in the GOP. Talk about what you think um, the brokered convention may be a possibility, slight, still possibility. But in the end, if you have a Trump go in with 1,100, let's say, delegates, and Cruz is right behind him, let's say, seven or 800. I don't know what the numbers would be. And then Kasich somehow gets 100. What in the world is supposed to happen at a brokered convention you can't disenfranchise these the 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 Trump voters, right? And you can't disenfranchise the Cruz voters. So what well, would come yeah, out of a brokered convention that everybody keeps hoping would happen? And I include myself in that. I would just say, though, strictly, there's no such thing as a brokered convention. There might have been a hundred years ago, uh, smoke-filled, stogie, cigar-smoking men, white males, making a decision. But no, what happens now is the rules are, are pretty clear. They're actually, it turns out there are some wrinkles around some of these rules, so I don't think they're going to be material. You've got to have 1,237 delegates to it. If you don't have that, you don't win. No one's denying anybody anything. If Trump goes into that convention without 1,237, he's got to get 1,237 one way or the other to come out of there. Now, he maybe he makes his famous deal and and deals with somebody, uh, a Kasich or a uh, Rubio, who will still have delegates, or a uh, Cruz, or maybe not Trump, all coalesces, and they get 1,237. There's no, yeah, Mm. there have been a a number of conventions where people have gone, you know, obviously in the last century and early in this century, or, or last, and early in the in the 1800s, in the, or late in the 1800s, early in the 1900s, where you, you had a number of candidates go in with the most delegates who did not come out as the presidential party. What, what I can say with total certainty is not going to happen is it's not going to be somebody other than Donald Trump 
or uh, Ted Cruz. It's going to be one of those two at this point. It's not going to be John Kasich. Uh, it's going to be one of those two. They're not that body of delegates who come in, however many it is, assuming it's less than 1237 in each case. Uh, I, I can't imagine the circumstance where they just say, oh, you know what, let's go for Mitt. Mm-hmm. Or let's go for Rubio, or let's go for somebody. No, it's going to be either Cruz or Trump. They're going to be posting up against each other, and it's not a. It's, no one's denying anybody anything. To win, you got to get twelve thirty-seven. That's just what the rule is. And um, is if it- somebody doesn't want, if somebody doesn't walk in with twelve thirty-seven, what you do is you vote. So you have the first vote. Everybody votes, and lo and behold. Nobody gets across the magic threshold, okay? And you vote again, and then you vote again, and you vote again until somebody gets 1237. And and there might be brokering... That person wins. Right, and there might be brokering behind the convention where, you know, whoever, uh, Jeb Bush might work with somebody and then come out on the stand and and support one of them. Right, yeah, or Kasich could say, you know what, I thought about this, you guys... We can't have Trump. I'm throwing in with Cruz. Hmm. Uh, now, that is, no, after, you know, again, the rules vary state by state, although not that much. Uh, I think everyone's committed the first round. There may be some states where that's not true, but overwhelmingly, everyone's committed the first round. And then it just drops off pretty dramatically. I think 80% of the people are, are not committed in the second round. And by the third or fourth round, no one's committed. I think. Wow. Uh, so, so then, but it's not necessary. I mean, you could have some cruise people say, you know what, I want Trump. Yeah. I, if you, if you look at that Venn diagram, there's, there's overlap between. But that would uh, get crazy. Uh, I mean, yeah. If, cause if in any way, shape or form, Trump looked like he was losing now at the convention, he would call out the dogs. <laughs> well, he would go crazy because he's a big fat baby. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he bars reporters from coming to his meetings if they don't write nice stories about him. And the guy's a thug. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. He's a thug. <laughs> but ha- having said that, uh, he, the good news is the convention is late enough in July that it would be virtually impossible to mount any kind of a serious third-party uh, candidate, given the ballot requirements. So you've got a chunk of states that you need to be on the ballot in July and a very yeah. large chunk of, del- of uh, states that you need to be on the ballot in August. And then the rest are in September. There might be at one or two in October. Basically, it's, it's uh, the bulk is in August and uh, September. So, so it's, it's yeah. very hard to mount a third-party campaign at that stage, um, Joe, I got to ask you this one more thing, and then you got to go. It's uh, t- later today, in just a f- I think about an hour or so, um, the president will be naming his his nominee for um, the the Supreme Court. Anything? Any take on that and what's coming down to there? Yeah, zero chance that 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 nominee is going to get considered, and and for all of the fake, virtuous, crocodile tears on the Democrat side, I just ask you this question. 
uh, it's a few years ago. George W. Bush is president. Harry Reid is the majority leader. Senator Barack Obama is the senator from Illinois. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies. Uh, I can tell you it would be exactly the same thing mm. yeah. then as it is now. There is zero chance in that circumstance that Harry Reid would ever allow. Remember, this, this is the guy who blew up the whole uh, filibuster process. Right. Uh, so there's zero chance that in that circumstance, Harry Reid would, would entertain anybody that George W. Bush sends up. And for Democrats to act like there's some, you know, moral imperative for the Republicans to consider this yeah. is total. It's a... It's as hypocritical as it gets, even in Washington. Yeah, politics one hundred and one, huh? So yeah, there's 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 no, no chance. way. And and for what it's worth, I I would say this: even in the George Bush scenario that I mentioned, I would still feel like, wait a second, we're this close to an election. This is what elections are about. Right, right. Let let's, it be. Let's, let's let the public decide. You know, maybe it is Hillary is going to name the next uh, uh, Supreme Court justice. Fine. That America has made that decision. Right, right, yeah. Not, yeah. So, well, I appreciate it, Joe. That's uh, that's great insight and way to help us cover all of uh, all things political. And that's amazing how well you did, considering you're not even a Washington insider. Right. I'm not. <laughs> good stuff, Joe Cannon, uh, our good friend from Fuel Freedom Foundation. Go check out his website, fuelfreedom.org, and uh, we will be back in just a minute to uh, wrap up this first hour. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. All things political, I'm telling you. It's, I know it's hard. It's, it's Some people just don't like politics. And to have so much of this going on, it, it makes for probably a lot longer day than you might want. Uh, one of the things, though, um, again, you, you are f- totally free to go think the way you want to think. Just get informed and be... Become part of the change. If what you really want is to see something different, then maybe it's time that you go run. Maybe it's time that you run for a state office or for dog catcher, uh, Marco Rubio. Um, But you become the change. One of my favorite quotes is a quote uh, by Gandhi that we must become the change we seek in the world. And if if you're not liking this process and this political kind of beatdown that we're kind of going through, then maybe it is time for other people to step up and and seriously consider becoming the change. And that can happen in your own community, on your own boards, in the local you know kind of community. Um, but look at it. Think about it. Don't just sit back and moan and complain about it. Instead, you step in and, and make a change. That's all we can do in this process. And it's not a perfect process, but it's uh, it's it's one of the better processes out there for creating freedom, right? We'll uh, take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Can't do it without you. Stick with us. We'll be back next hour. More tools, more information to help you live longer and love stronger. We'll be right back. 
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt, your coach. Everybody needs a life coach. Life is not easy. We just think you should just maneuver it, handle it. Ben, what were you going to say? I saw you. Nothing, no. Once you lick your lips, I know you're about to speak. You're just licking them. I I just believe in being the captain of my own soul. Yep, we should start doing that. That'd be great. Little captain. (laughs) Captain, my captain. You should be the captain of your soul. If you had a soul. <laughs> Is that how you coach everybody? <laughs> yep. I like to take them on. Straight on. <laughs> Straight on. Look, let's be you real. You soulless demon. <laughs> <laughs> That's a neat idea, Ben, if you had a soul. Ha! No, Ben, you've got a soul. It's beautiful. It's sweet. It's just dwindling. Mm. No, it's not. You don't have a shrinking soul. Hey, uh, President Obama, this just in has chosen Merrick Garland as his nominee to replace the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia. It's happening. He's moving ahead with it. He's nominated Merrick Garland, who, according to our last guest, Joe Cannon, um, before knowing the name, this poor soul will probably be the most ignored human for the next nine months. Everyone will talk about him, but apparently the GOP, they're not even going to go there. It's like an elementary school when nobody will talk to you. Uh, They're like hazing you. No, I, tell me about this. I've never. Oh, this doesn't happen to everybody. No. Oh no. Oh, sorry. It right. just makes it awkward. Oh well. Well, we, we talk to you. Yeah, but you're not. Okay, in quit talking. School. Time to move on. Okay. <laughs> Poor Benny. No, it's uh, Merrick Garland. He's in. Senator Orrin Hatch, the longest-serving Republican on the Senate Judiciary Committee, offered his own thoughts on who President Obama should nominate to fill the seat left open by the death of Justice Antonin Scalia last week. Obama could easily name Merrick Garland, who is a fine man, Hatch told the conservative news site Newsmax, before adding that he probably won't do that because this appointment is about the election. So I'm pretty sure he'll name someone the liberal Democratic base wants. That's huge. Yeah. Um, so all of a sudden, when you think about it, the very man that, uh, that Senator Orrin Hatch had proposed, Merrick Garland, Garland, is the man he nominated. According to reports, he hasn't done it yet. It's a big deal. He hasn't done it officially? Yeah. It well, happens at 11 Eastern. Well, I guess, yeah. So they send out the presser to everybody. Mm-hmm. Or you sneak out a, a leak that's... Yeah. Yeah. So what if he yeah, he might retract it? Yeah, what if he does that? What what if something happens in the next hour? Oh, what if they all of a sudden have a nominee? Let's say they do suggest Merrick and put him and, and nominate him and he's the nicest, greatest, relatively moderately conservative pre-approved already. Don't sleep on Judge Judy or Judge Joe Brown. They're out there too. <sighs> Why would I sleep on them? I don't know. Maybe they're a candidate. You don't know. You, you, that's true. Or that's maybe true. that's for the next president. Judge when, Judy when President not. Trump is, gets in there, maybe he goes, the people have spoken. Judge Judy <laughs> is who they want. Don't don't laugh at that. Do you know? They, that could happen. There's a lawsuit 
And it was leaked out that she makes like forty-seven oh, million a year. Oh, she's making tons, yeah. And that show made like one point five billion over the last, yeah, whatever the time period. And it's just, and they're suing because they're like, we should make more money off this. I mean, a Supreme Court justice doesn't make anywhere near that. No, she should. She should. That's why, if I were Judge Judy, I'd ride this out. Yeah. Plus, she could then go on the senior tour. She could the, go the, speaking all okay. over Florida, Arizona. Right. All those retirement communities, and make they watch her all day. Right. Yeah. And the fact that she's rich means she'd probably be a good judge. Oh, for That's sure. That's just my opinion. Well, I think – <laughs> you're, no, you're absolutely right. Rich people right. make better judges. Absolutely. This is common knowledge. I understand. Yeah, your theory is impeccable. That's, <laughs> that's incredible. Man. See, again, this is the insight you get on the show. It's good stuff. I mean, a lot of shows wouldn't – have such a profound statement they might look into the background of the judge yeah maybe see what some some of the rulings Uh have been recent what what is their tendency when it comes to big sort of social issues process the information how do they make their decisions no we go do they have any money are Eh. they rich me like me like the rich rich is good no me like the poor anyway that's sad uh we've got a great topic coming up if you have kids and you notice that they're not so healthy with their tech, mm. you know, like they won't get off of it. The coma that happens yeah. when, when yeah, the their iPad eyes goes roll on. over and their mouth yeah. just kind of is just locked. What's that called? Like a, kind of like a, just hanging open. And then if you forget about them for like an hour, you come up and they're just they look like they've dissolved into the couch. And yeah. you're like, OK, that's enough. And they're like, no, I just need one more. One more. No, more. no, 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 yeah, no. You can't watch another movie. Turn Your kid's it off. addicted. Yeah, Ten right. traits of tech healthy families. We'll be speaking with Janelle Burley Hoffman, teaching you those tricks and uh, traits of the tech healthy family. And you can see if, if you've got those going on in your house. Uh, I hope my wife is listening. <laughs> Do you turn off the Wi Fi? No, I've never done that. I've, um, like, there's parents that'll go change the Wi Fi password. Just change it. And then if you want it, then you need to accomplish these tasks. Or they there's some Wi-Fi programs that at like 9 o'clock, it turns off. Oh, that's great. Or you can you can set it up that these devices cannot connect to the Wi-Fi after, after this period, after this point of the but evening. My problem is a lot of my kids would then just be using yeah. their cellular service. And well, then we'd well, then pay fines. You got to turn that off. There is this thing. It's kind of old school where you just go take their phone. Well, there's that, yeah. There's just physically removing the device. There's a there's an app where you can um, download the app and then you press a button and set a time. And at nine o'clock, someone will show up at your house and steal the app or the the devices from your kids. Oh, nice. It's weird. Yeah, like it just seems like if you're going to all that trouble, parents could just do it themselves. But, right. You know, it's free, prob- the, free service. It would probably lead to counseling because you yeah. know home invasions Therapy. are kind of scary. So that's why. Yeah, that's why these home invasions have been going up lately. Right. It's that app. Right. It's called Home Invasion. <laughs> dot. Net. Net has to be a net forward slash Tezos. Ben, that's maybe our next business. Not like like home and fun. Funhomeinvasions.com. Yeah. Don't you think? No. I don't know if you want to be involved. How about childfright.com? I like that one. That, that one has a bit more of a Do you want your name attached to, to that? No, I put Ben's name on it. Oh, it would be. Yeah, go I'm ahead. I'm not putting my name on it. If it's that. Ben's, go ahead. Townsend's Night of Terror. <laughs> <laughs> again. Yeah, again, I don't want my name on it. Right. <laughs> it has more of like a terrifying ring to it than my name, though. 
Yeah. Well, once they get to know you, it gets scarier. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's shoot it over to Terry. Terry, anything going on in the headlines we need to worry about? There is a Super Tuesday 3 recap. Hillary Clinton won four state primaries Tuesday, Florida, Ohio, Illinois, and North Carolina. Trump, Donald Trump, takes Florida, Illinois, and North Carolina. Clinton and Trump lead in Missouri, both by .2 percentage points ahead of Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz. I'm not sure Ooh. if they've actually called that yeah, for them. That's a tie. But they're, it's like a 1,000 votes or so between both uh. Republicans and Democrats. It's basically done because it's 99% of precincts are reporting at this point. But uh, I'd have they a could count. The, 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 it could be a challenge there. So Missouri may, may still be in play. I don't think so. But uh, John Kasich won Ohio, which is causing some uh, issues elongating the process for the uh, the Republicans when it comes to <laughs> wow. who is their nominee. Donald Trump. Many past sexist remarks were made as a quote television character and thereby invalid as an argument against his candidacy. His national spokesperson said he on was Tuesday. Acting. During a Fox News interview, uh, Katrina Pearson, his uh, Fox News or uh, Donald Trump spokesperson, was asked about a, a new anti-Trump super PAC ad that rattles off the candidate chauvinistic quotes about various women. Have you seen this ad no, at all? No. The women stand there, and it's like reading mean tweets or reading the, yeah, the criticism. Yeah. They just read his quotes uh, about women, and it's just really kind of shocking to see a woman uh. do this. But here's his spokesperson. Uh, but I really don't think this is going to be a problem. A lot of those statements is what Mr. Trump made as a television character. So I don't think that some of that is going to stick. He's been in the public eye for decades. His negatives are baked in. People want a strong leader, period. That's why he's winning today. So his negatives are known. Yeah. Nothing to uncover. The things he said, he was a TV character. So all that can be shoved away. This is who Donald Trump is. You, you can't. The deal is... The minute you start pushing the, on Trump being a misogynist and a sexist pig, yeah. the minute Hillary does that, it's going to get crazy. But those are baked in negatives. People know that. It's not new. They already know the guy, yeah. Moving on. And they're voting like crazy. Uh, Donald Trump says he will not show up for the next Republican presidential debate hosted by Fox News. Uh, this morning on Fox and Friends, Trump said he will instead be speaking at the American-Israeli Public Affairs Committee on March 21st, which is the same night as the debate. The uh, APAC, I think it's called, uh, Trump is confirmed to speak at their annual conference about American policies on Israel. Trump claims that he only recently found out about the debate and he can't cancel his speech. Well, only recently? Yes. Well, he probably found out when everyone else found out. A couple weeks ago? Yeah. When they announced it? Yeah. Yeah. So he just said recently he can't isn't, cancel. Isn't, isn't that debate, where's that debate going to be? Uh, Salt Lake City. Oh, weird. And yeah. isn't he like in third place in Utah? He is. So he's not coming to Utah to have a debate where he's in third place. That is correct. Instead, he's going to go to APAC, mm-hmm. even though he couldn't go to CPAC. Correct. He's got his packs mixed up. Mm, maybe not in his mind. And he's going to go to APAC to talk about Jewish uh, policy with Israel. And which is fascinating because I nobody really knew he had any. Well, that's I guess this is where he'll release the his Israeli American policy. There you go. And and CPAC wouldn't have worked for him because those people weren't really for him. So if it ends up being a debate between Kasich and Cruz and they yeah. have an hour each on television, that seems like a huge advantage for Cruz. Very much so. 
Huh. We've done this before where Trump didn't show up. Yeah. And it was a very quiet and It seems like a sad civil. day for Fox News because the ratings will drop. <laughs> it will because they did last time too. Mm. As we've talked about, President Obama will announce this morning at 11 a.m. Eastern his pick for the Supreme Court. Reports have it being uh, Judge Merrick Garland. He is from, and I don't have his position where he's from, but he's from the Federal Circuit judges. CNN has confirmed it will be Merrick. It will be him, okay. But it has not yet been announced. No, so he could change. It could be, as we said, Judge Judy. That's my pick. (laughs) He's 63. I like her little doilies that she wears. And he wouldn't bring diversity to the court, it says on Huffington Post, as much as a lengthy resume in public service, including stints in the Justice Department, Court of Appeals, D.C. Circuit. He's now a chief judge on the D.C. Circuit, I guess. And rumor is he has an iPhone, so he's going to rule in favor of the iPhone. Attaboy. There you go. That's unconfirmed, by the way. Okay, yeah. Uh, the police is this kind of interesting police report out of Massachusetts, the town of uh, Charlton. Have, they've told residents to keep their eyes peeled for men looking to challenge pedestrians to rap battles. The Associated Press is, is reporting mm-hmm. this. According to the police, a black SUV full of men in their late teens or early 20s pull up to th- pulled up to three teenage bo- boys last Saturday. One of the men, described as having brown hair and pa- a pale complexion, wearing a gray <laughs> T-shirt, gray pants, and open-toed sandals, got out of the vehicle and started rapping while the other men asked the boys Ooh. if they wanted to, quote, spit some bars, which is lingo yeah. for lyrics. I know what it is. Mm, I just had to explain. When the boys declined, the SUV drove off. The police said the incident didn't appear to be an abduction attempt, but that the behavior was suspicious. So people are driving around this town of Massachusetts challenging people to rap battles. You know what? To me, this doesn't seem dangerous at all. This seems beautiful. This is what could heal the community. uh, It works in every musical. Mm Mm-hmm. Have you seen The Music Man? No. It brings no, communities actually, have, together yeah, yeah. eventually. But spontaneous rap battles on the streets? Yeah. Okay. I do them every night. All right. <laughs> on the way home, just bust me some bars, grind out some rhymes. Mm. I don't know any other phrases. Should, w- do you think that would have uh, qualified to have a police notice for the residents of the town? <laughs> I'm a beatboxer. I could lay down a beat. <laughs> So, yeah, watch out. Yeah. People yeah. could drive up in a van. I don't think you need to alert the police. I Challenge think you, you need to elite the, alert the community service people. All right. And let's have a major festival. <laughs> I think the whole point of this is the randomness of it. Yeah. Where they just pull up and spontaneously rap battle. Let's well, go. But let's just say this. Let's say you, uh, it's midday. All right. You're, you're parked at a light, mm-hmm. sitting at a light. And three white guys get out of the car. Pale complexion. Pale complexion. Open-toed shoes. Open-toed shoes. Clean cut. Clean cut. And they start singing harmony like a barbershop quartet. Hmm. Are you calling? What the? Call the cops. That's right. You're not going to call the cops on these guys. It's suspicious behavior. What are they doing? What if they like, and and they're happy, and they're like, they have movements together. Okay. And they're like, it's all choreographed. So an acapella group of some kind. It seems like a little racist here. I'm just saying. They're having rap battles in Massachusetts, so beware. That's crazy. You know what, folks? Be grateful. You live where you live. You could just pull up somewhere and some guy starts trying to lay down a rhyme. It's a scary world. It's a scary world. (laughs) That's crazy. I mean, what if somebody seriously jumped out and started singing show tunes to you? You just going to take that? 
No way. I throw some show tunes back at him. Yeah. Don't make, don't make me go phantom all over you. <laughs> it's crazy. Hey, we'll take a break, folks. When we come back, Janelle Burley Hoffman will be joining us talking about 10 traits of tech healthy families. This is how you can take your family back, folks. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. So do you have kids and uh, technology? All of a sudden, your kids come in. You know, they used to say, hi, Dad. Hi, Mom. Can I have something to eat? Now they just get right to their tech. They sit on the couch. They uh, they veg a little bit. They get into their their little zone, their world. And um, what we uh, what we try to do is we try to stay ahead of the tech. You don't necessarily want to discourage the tech, right? Because this isn't going away. But how are you supposed to raise a family? How are you supposed to raise, you know, kids when their heads are always on a phone? We just bought this brand new car, and this car is so tech heavy, it's crazy. Like literally, we almost have to insure the car for more uh, simply because once the tech goes out on the car, we're in trouble. Like nothing will work. It has a main screen. I don't know, about a 10-inch screen. Maybe it's not that big. I don't know, about a large iPad, whatever size that is, um, that is the is the screen that controls everything in my car. But it can also – you can pick up Wi-Fi. You can do all of these different things. So it's gotten to the point that our car not only has a like a television in it, but it has Wi-Fi connectivity. It has everything you could ever imagine. It's taking over, folks. It's going to kill us, or is it? Well, our next guest, Janelle Burley Hoffman, is is uh, is going to be coming on, and she's going to help us understand how to integrate tech into our everyday lives. You know, kids are using it, toddlers are using it. Whether it's iPads or iPods, you know, the crazy kicker is that uh, these gadgets sometimes can be run uh, more efficiently by by the kids than even their parents. So this saturation of technology in our everyday life, it may have some of us worried, right? Is our family tech healthy? What kind of boundaries ought to be set to create a healthier family and a balance between family and modern technology? Well, Janelle Burley Hoffman is the author of the article that uh, we, we found on Huffington Post, 10 Traits of Tech Healthy Families. She joins us now from Massachusetts to talk about her article. Ms. Hoffman, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for being with us. This, I mean, to me, I have six kids, and this is huge, this idea of technology kind of taking over my family. Talk to us about, uh, first of all, you know, how did, how did you get started in this focus of yours on technology and family? Sure. So just like you, um, it was on my mind as a mother of five and parenting in the digital space. And also my work with youth and community and parenting regionally here in Massachusetts, I was seeing how much it was on the minds of young people and their families. And so when my oldest son, who is now 16, was 13, I, he wanted his first smartphone, of course, and I wanted to make sure 
that when I gave him the technology, I was doing it thoughtfully and mindfully. I wasn't just automatically handing it over. Right. And so I wrote him an 18th contract outlining <laughs> my expectations um, and agreements of how we would use the technology and really how I thought he could use it in a very specific way, like in how I wanted him to turn it off at certain times in the night. And I still wanted him, you know, I wanted to remind him that what he said over the device, he had to be willing to say to someone's face, you know, because it's so easy to be brave. Right. And then, of course, there were some points in there that was a reflection on how I wanted the technology to not take away his adolescence or replace some of those human experiences that are important around growing up. And so from there, um, I shared the contract, obviously, uh, with my husband and my son. And then I shared it on my blog, both on my website and on the Huffington Post, and it, it went viral. And this was back in 2012. Huh. And, and from there, the work really shifted from um, my family and a regional perspective to this big international conversation, bringing the book I Rules to life and talking to schools and to teachers and parents and students themselves all over the world about this very conversation of how do we integrate technology in a way that's exciting and new and can enhance our lives, but how do we address some of the challenges and changes um, that happen for us in the everyday around it? Mm. That is a super proactive as a parent, but I mean, really, you took on the issue that many of us are, are fighting and, and trying to balance every day. It's also like you, you didn't just try to brush it aside and pretend like it's not an issue. But you, you, you wanted to get some control over it. And I guess I guess one of the first keys is to not necessarily reject technology, but to kind of to, to manage it, to lead it. Absolutely. I think as the adults, um, we need to be first reflecting on our own use. You know, what, what, in what ways are we using the technology? Is it balanced in our lives? Is, are we using it in a way that feels good to us? Or do we already feel pulled by it? What's our level of digital literacy or digital fluency around the devices? Are we resisting it? Are we afraid of it? You know, how are we thinking about the technology before we automatically just hand it to a child and expect them, while they can be really tech-savvy as part of the digital generation, but we still have the wisdom of the teachings that are important and in integrating that process to the right. technology, you know, just because we can hand over all the technology in the world to a child doesn't mean that we should all at once, that we should be introducing it to them a little at a time so that they, we can set them up for that level of success with the technology. As you know, um, parenting in, in a busy, full house, in modern day parenting, none of us want to introduce something that's going to add more struggle. Right, right. We right. want to address some of these issues. Like It's, it's already challenging enough <laughs> it's to so run a true. family. It's so, so true. Is so there... we all go out and buy these devices that, that can, can add more stress. But I think if we take that step back and say, how do we want it? Right? Yes, the technology is here, but how do we want it in our lives? And that's, you might answer that question different than I might or someone right. else, but it's really important that we reflect on it. Yeah, and, and you use our brains, right? And th we're here for a purpose. We ha we're having a family for a purpose, and that purpose isn't to just ignore each other and to be controlled by our devices. I also love that you you focus it on a family as well, like because you know, and families come in every shape and size. One of the powerful things, though, is it, it, it's a system, right? This a family is a is a is a structure and an organization, and it has rules and it has boundaries. And 
Um, when you talk about your uh, article, 10 Traits of Tech Healthy Families, give us some ideas that come from that uh, about what actually what, – what would be essential or important to make sure we're looking at to create a tech healthy family? This is the reason I use the term tech healthy is because I want us to think about it like we would other areas of health and wellness, whether it's physical health or mental health or emotional health, social health. I want to start introducing technology in that same way, right? So we might tell our children that they can't, they can have a cookie for dessert, but they can't have a cookie for every single meal and never eat a vegetable, right? So we right. want to look at it from a place of, of balance that we can have some of it and we can take our time with it. So, so in the article, I think one of the most foundational pieces of, of my work is that it's not up to me to tell people what they should be doing with the technology, but instead offering them the opportunity to reflect on what they want from the technology. Mm. And where we begin with that is thinking about what our values are as a family, what our principles and cornerstones that are guiding us in other areas of our lives, in the other ways and methods we're teaching our kids, and then applying that to the screen. That's such a great... I just was thinking as you were saying that, like we have a daughter that's married, has a be- we have a beautiful grandbaby, that, and they come over and they'll walk in the house, they're coming to visit, and there's this lull between when they arrive and when people put their technology away. And there's this awkward... <laughs> Silence, and and I'm sitting there thinking we need to sit down with our kids and talk about these things. Like, what do we want people to feel when they come over, when they walk in? And I mean, all that is is a conversation, right? Like like you're saying, it's just a question we need to answer. Exactly, and young people can be part of that conversation. Right. Of, you know, what does this look like, and what message does this send about what's important and and being present? And it's not the call to action is not for us to be perfect or not that we'd never make a mistake, or, you know, that we aren't always learning. I think that's the one great thing about parenting, is that we're learning every single right. day about ourselves, about our children, about the way that they interact in all different ways, but with the technology. So really making this about, about reflection, that we have this opportunity because the technology is new for all of us, right? There's nobody ahead of us saying, when did my mom allow me to go on Instagram? Or when is the right, you know, when did I get my first smartphone? That we're really trailblazing this as right. a generation of parents right now. So we need each other. We need these conversations. But also we need to be reflecting in our, in our own lives and families. So that, that, that takes a little bit of work. You know, when I teach a class or um, give a talk, People will say, oh, I thought you were going to give me three simple steps that would guarantee success and we would live happily ever after. And we all know that's, number one, not how life or parenting works. So, of course, the technology, especially because it's so new, is not going to be every different in any way from that. We're going to have to be reevaluating and, and reassessing. And I think that's why contracting and coming up with these agreements and having a lot of communication around this space is critical because... Our kids grow and change, the technology shifts and changes, but what can stay the same and what's reflected in the 10 tech-healthy habits of families is that the values 
stay the same even as the external world shifts. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And and just the mere fact that we've had a discussion around our values and principles, that's a killer foundation. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll have more with Janelle Burley Hoffman. You, you can go to her website, JanelleBurleyHoffman.com. And uh, while you're there, you can also be looking for her book, uh, I Rules, What Every Tech Healthy Family Needs to Know About Selfies, Sexting, Gaming, and Growing Up. When we come back, we'll continue uh, talking about the different dialogues or discussions we need to hold as a family um, and, and kind of just try to understand and create some 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 structure around uh, technology in our home. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, everybody. A little uh, Mr. Roboto from Styx. Mm. Some cool music right there. See, I remember back in the day when listening to music like that would rot your brain. Nope, now it's 12 hours of screen time. That's going to rot your brain. So who better to help us than uh, Janelle Burley Hoffman, who is the author of the book I Rules, What Every Tech Healthy Family Needs to Know About Selfies, Sexting, Gaming, and Growing Up. She also wrote an article called 10 Traits of Tech Healthy Families, and she's walking us through the conversations we need to have with our kids when it comes to technology. Welcome back, Janelle Burley Hoffman. Thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. This is such a, I think, an essential uh, uh, foundation we need around our technology. And what I love, too, is how you set it up really as there's some dialogues, there's discussions we need to have with our kids. And one of them is you said uh, last last before the break about the fact that we need to kind of set up our values and our principles. We need to kind of shore those up for what we want to be as a family. And then you also talk about the fact that we need families um, need that did they need to I guess decide if they're going to be digitally literate. What do you mean by that? Sure. So, so this is a great opportunity for for parents to reflect on how comfortable they are around the technology. And to parent in the digital space, it doesn't mean that we need to know how to code or that we need to be tech experts ourselves. But we want to have a fluency in it, right? We want to have an understanding not just in our own use, but also in our individual child's use. Right. So if we think about our children in different ways, they have different behaviors. They probably have different appetites, right? Some of them might eat a lot. Some of them might eat like birds. Well, the way they're going to interact with the technology is going to be different, too. They're going to have different tech tendencies. And we want to know that about our child. Hmm. And we want to parent and curate the experience for them so that they, again, can come back to this word health, so that they interact in a healthy way. So, so what does that mean and what does that look like? Well, just like we would ask our children, you know, who's going to hang out and be playing down at the soccer field? Who will you be with? Um, what time will you be home? You know, if we think of, of a middle schooler in that regard. And, you know, do you need a ride? How will you contact me? We have all of these conversations away from the screen. And we want to be having that same kind of knowledge and interaction with our kids on the screen, hmm. right? So who do you text with? Where are you online? What social networks? What games are you playing? Asking questions. When in doubt, 
as parents, get curious. Why do you like it? How will you use it? Why does it feel important for you to have it? So again, these are all questions we can ask before allowing a certain social network or allowing a device, during or after we've already said yes. It's never too late to come back and reassess some of the things we've said yes to and ask the question of the family, right? What's working? What's going really well? And what is it? Right. And, and this is something you, you can't afford to just leave it to your child. I mean, you want to be informed, like you say. You, you want to be up to date. Absolutely. And kids feel really safe and really happy and positive when they have boundaries, when they know what the expectations are. Just like all of us in our own, in the workplace or, you know, in our, in our relationships, we want to know, you know, where are the boundaries here? What is the expectation? What's the, again, where, where am I supposed to be? What's okay? Who mm. can I go for if I've made a mistake or I need some help? You know, asking who are my askable adults? Because no child should have to figure out the internet and all of the things that go on with the internet on their own. Right. They need people, they need guidance, they need models, and it doesn't necessarily have to be people who are absolutely experts on the technology, but they they need, we can't just hand over the technology and hope for the best. Yeah. I, I use the analogy often, if we wanted to teach our child to cook a meal, we're going to think of this as a process, right? right? We're going to say, okay, perhaps you know when they're a young child, preschool age, they'll stand with us in the kitchen, We'll read the recipe for them. They might get to mix in the bowl. Then when they get a little bit older, we might let them chop some of the vegetables to go into the soup so they get to use the knife after we've taught them. And then as they get older, maybe they can bake a cake on their own with the ultimate goal being that someday they can feed themselves, Hmm. right? That, Mm -hmm. That we've taught them enough. And we would never just say, here's the ingredients, here's the recipe, here's some utensils, and be careful sometimes the stove gets hot. Yeah. That wouldn't be enough. No, you you need more, don't you? You make them, you call them I rules. So through these discussions and even just through your learnings or even mistakes that happen, we could also come up with some I rules. Explain what an I rule is. Sure. So an I rule is an agreement or a, a boundary around the technology. And again, these limits and boundaries and expectations for our kids help them know what what we value and where the limits are. And just so some examples of different eye rules can be a a specific time we want our children to turn the device off at night or a specific time for usage. A lot of families are, you know, one of the big questions I hear right now is a lot of screen time is for homework and it's hard to know, you know, how much is too much and what is normal and all of this. And, And so allowing time for just some freedom for the kids to, whether it's, you know, to text with friends or to use social networks to go on the games. And then there's time to get down to business where they're using it for schoolwork and really having a different a conversation around our kids to help them differentiate is important. Mm. Also outlining, you know, eye rules can include things in terms of behaviors, right? So that social emotional health, about the kind of content we want them viewing, the types of things they want to share, also to protect their personal information. Kids don't naturally know, you know, a little bit they're taught in school now, but to protect their passwords, that no one should ever ask for their name and birth date or any banking or credit card information, that if any of those things come up through a gaming or the app store, that, that they need to come to a parent or another caregiver or babysitter because those things are private and personal information. You know, just teaching them these foundational usage tips is really important as as they go forward. It's part of the things that 
our kids need to learn in modern society. Yeah. We we make a big deal um, about that they're, they're probably going to end up seeing something on the Internet that they they don't feel they should be looking at and what they should do yeah. when they come across something like that instead of just hiding it, going quiet and pretending like they didn't see it. We always just tell them, come tell us. We'll help you turn it off. We'll help you get off the page. And but because otherwise there's this shame that could be associated with some things that are on there or just naive, you know, exploration that could end up harming. Absolutely. Them. I'm so glad you brought that up because, again, this is a critical teaching and when you say to a child, I, you may stumble across something that you, you know, I, I'll ask this question when I'm in schools and, and doing programming to students, how many of you, and this could be age eight all the way through co- a college lecture, how many of you have seen something online you wish you didn't see? Hmm. And 100% of the time, 100% of the students put their hands up. Yeah. And this doesn't necessarily mean that it's something explicit or particularly violent or something in a lot of cases that parental controls might block. It might just be something that they didn't understand, they weren't sure if it was true, something that felt confusing. Right. So, so it's important that we have these things in place so our children know, I'm here for you. I can handle it. Right? That's a really powerful sentiment. And if we can't be that person as their parents, that we're directing them to somebody that can. Yeah, man, that's a, what do you call them? Uh, what do you call the person that they can go to? The askable adult. That's such a great term, isn't it? The askable adult. And um, I mean, I guess ideally we should always as a parent try to be the askable adult, right? Um, yes, that's, that's the idealistic point of view. Well, the funny thing is, though, every teenager also knows there's some things we just don't ask mom and dad, except <laughs> except even that would be great if you could make yourself you know, available in such a way that it's askable. I, I love another part of your um, your 10 tech family traits. Um, is the fact that we're having fun with technology. The benefit of technology, there's so much that you can do with it now. And our family will just gather together and, and um, like on Apple TV, and, and we can just shoot up really funny videos that we all watch. And for an hour, we can all throw up our favorite videos and share them as a family. Absolutely. I think we cannot underestimate how fun and how engaging the technology really is and how convenient and how it does have a lot of positive contributions to, to family life when we use it that way. I, I right. can speak from my own experience. I, you know, at this time, I have a 16-year-old son, a 13-year-old son, an 11-year-old daughter, a 10-year-old daughter, and an 8-year-old daughter. And while they don't all have their own personal devices, my teenage sons do. And I have to say that the technology has deepened our relationships because we, we can share articles. We can share funny videos with each other. Um, I get a sense of what their interests are mm-hmm. and what they're reading, what they're watching. And at another time, I don't think my 16-year-old son would have cut out 10 newspaper clippings and said, hey, mom, check these out. <laughs> they're really funny, you know? But now he can share that kind of content with me. So it's insight and talking points and conversation we can engage in. Once it's been shared on the screen, now it becomes a place, a, a place we can build a bridge and something we have in common to reference. As, as we go through the teenage years, or even silly things like the face swap app, you know, so yeah. you can put your face on someone else's face, which all of my kids are in love with this app, and there's this silliness about it. So really finding ways, I mean, I know families that build Lego programming together, or they're curious and they have access to information like never before, so they can explore and get answers to questions 
together. So there's absolutely unlimited ways that we can deepen and enhance the relationship as a family through the technology. Mm. It really, it, it, again, it's, it's, our, it's our tool. It doesn't have to be our master. We have a, a couple more minutes. What would you say, uh, Janelle, as we're wrapping up, what would you say, you know, is, is the one thing that I, I always call it the one thing that just might create the make the biggest difference for us, but the one thing that immediately something we could all start doing that would that would create a change, a positive change in our use of technology. Sure. sure. So I call this the, the slow tech philosophy. So slow tech doesn't mean no tech. It doesn't mean a slow connection to the technology, but it's thinking about how you want it in life. So maybe you can make a small change saying everybody, including the adults, are going to put their devices away before bed. Or we're all going to sit down to a meal device-free. Or we're going to spend some time having conversation around the technology. So it doesn't mean that we need to get rid of it for a week. Or it doesn't, but there's pockets where we can be fully present um, with our family, with our partners, with our friends and extended family, where we bring back some of the presence and some of the humanity to the space around the digital world. And that doesn't mean we don't have a deep love for the technology, but it means we have a deep respect for those relationships away from the screens as well. Huh. Wow. That's cool. I love that. I mean, that's pretty basic, isn't it? It's just <laughs> it basic. <is. laughs> that's, I guess all of this is basic, and yet uh, it's so hard for us to do and, and to, to make sure that the tech doesn't run us over. Well, we appreciate you. Janelle Burley-Hoffman, uh, great Great insight, really. And people can find out more about what you're doing by just going to your website, JanelleBurleyHoffman.com, or looking you up on Huffington Post as well. Is that right, Janelle? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you. Great work. And uh, everybody, go also check out the book, I Rules, What Every Tech Healthy Family Needs to Know About Selfies, Sexting, Gaming, and Growing Up by Janelle Burley Hoffman. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, wrap up this second hour of The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, friends. We're helping you find the good in the world. And by golly, it might even be on your own device with your family. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, it's just technology. But... I'm telling you, I have a feeling we are getting lulled to sleep and we are sleeping through our own lives. The minute you have a free second, do you reach for your cell phone? Do you have to go check Facebook to see what your million friends are doing or have done? What is it doing to us? It's killing us. And again, it's just tech. I get it. It's just technology. However, this is still your life, and if you're going to spend the rest of your life just caught up in technology, what lesson are we sending our children? So before we sit there and try to fix our children's use of technology, make sure you take a really strong inventory of yourself. Are you addicted? If you lost your phone, would your life completely fall apart? Well, yeah. Who would I, who would I like? Well, I don't know. But that's pretty pitiful because if you lost your phone, you're still you, right? Well, yeah, but I don't know my friends' names or their numbers. Well, that's weird. Maybe they're not your real friends then. Come on. Come on. 
on. Hey, uh, you know, tech is being used everywhere. I, if you, I don't know if you heard this story about uh, cops. Um, North, Northeast Ohio police are hoping to figure out who left a bag of methamphetamine in a hotel. I guess. And they, they, they feel horrible. The police department feels horrible for the owner's loss and wants to help. The tongue-in-cheek message was posted Tuesday to the Macedonia Police Facebook page and asked the owners of the drugs to call or stop by to claim them so officers can, in their words, make your day. It's a trap! <laughs> a photograph shows a baggie containing what detectives say is about a gram of high-grade crystal methamphetamine worth as much as 160 bucks. The detective at the department, about 20 miles southeast of Cleveland, says there were numerous empty bags in the hotel trash can. Police haven't identified who rented the room using a, uh, a gift card. Um, so if you're out there and you've lost $160 worth of high-grade crystal meth, about a gram's worth, give them a call. Or give us a call. No, don't give us a call. <laughs> No, 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 no. Don't give us a call. Ben, give the Macedonia Police Department a call. They're worried. They're worried about you. See, you can use tech to help people who have lost things. It's that simple. By the way, I used tech to find my my iPad once when I dropped it off my car, actually. I left it on my hood of my car. Drove away. I, I've only heard of like women doing that with their purses. Okay. Well, you need to get out more. Ben, because I'm not a woman and it wasn't in a purse. It was on my roof of my car and I drove away. And I called my son and I'm like, have you seen my iPad? And he's like, no. And I said, it's missing. I lost it. And I was terrified. And he's like, well, dad, have you looked it up? Have you, have you tried to the find my iPhone app and the find my iPad app? I'm like, no, what are you talking about? And about a minute later, he had found my iPad. He said, Dad, I found your iPad. It's traveling south on I-15. <gasps> what? Anyway, we tech, we contacted the iPad, told him to call this number. We know where you are. And within about an hour, hour and a half, we had our iPad back. Pretty cool. Tech is good. Tech making me happy. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour. One more hour, more fun, more tools to help you live longer and stronger. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side, helping you negotiate and navigate your way through the crazy waters of Titanic Tuesday. Look out! That was a great sound effect, Ben. You could feel the iceberg scraping the hole. Uh, Titanic Tuesday! Last night was Titanic Tuesday. I call it Mega Super Tuesday the 3rd. Also, some are calling it Titanic Tuesday. And uh, here's the deal. It looks like, just like the groundhog poking his head out, 
Many more months of chaos and confusion. (laughs) Just when you thought it was all over. Nope. Trump did pretty well, apparently. Uh, Hillary did pretty well. But you know what? Also, when you think about it, who knows? This is going to get crazy. Hillary still may have problems with her Freedom of Information Act issue, which, by the way, today is Freedom of Information Day. Hillary Clinton can can basically, because of today, March 16th, Freedom of Information Day, in 1966, that's when the Freedom of Information Act was uh, was enacted, and that means that you know, people can ask for information from elected officials. Freedom of information. That's great. And now so we, now she, but we still don't she know about the aliens. We don't know about the aliens at Area 51. What's going on? Right. Or Roswell. We still – well, I've been, some things, but I've they're all Roswell. redacted. All you need to do is go to the Roswell Museum and you'll know everything you need to know. No. They existed. They're real. Roswellians were mistreated by these done these Martians. They done done them wrong. They done mistreated them. Gotcha. It was bad, bad. That's an incredible museum, by the way. That's one that you really want to take a bunch of friends with, or your kids, because you can scare them a lot there. If you hey. don't do your homework, <laughs> they'll suck your brains out. These yeah. these aliens are going to get you. Um, uh, interesting, interesting day today. Today uh, is also the everything you think is wrong day. Ben, this is the day where everything you're thinking is wrong and you should assume such. No, I'm not going to do that. It seems like a day specially made for you, Ben. Everything you think should be avoided. Don't do what you're thinking. It's wrong. Whatever. He's just going to start eating. That's all he does. What was that? He just eats. Ew. He just eats. It's embarrassing. Uh, Missouri man, did you hear about this? Charged with advertising for dependents. This is how you know taxes are getting so bad. Because a Missouri man has been uh, – went on Craigslist and he's – for identities of children he could claim as dependents on his taxes. The U.S. Attorney's Office says 37-year-old Raheem McLean of Ozark was charged in a three-count indictment that was unsealed Tuesday. The indictment alleges that he was behind a January 2015 Craigslist posting that said, if you have some kids that you aren't claiming, I will pay you $750 each to claim them on my income tax. He's accused of filing in uh, in February 2015 false returns for 12, 13, and 2014. Aren't they just little tax write-offs, basically? Apparently they're not. Apparently, you can't borrow someone's children for a write-off. Well, if they're not using them. Rent-a-kid. Yeah. I mean, Rent-a-kid. There's, huh? a, there's a cottage industry there. It seems inappropriate. And it's not really the kid. It's just, I'm going to claim the child. You don't. Right. So the kid never goes anywhere. No children are harmed in this transaction. Well, except- It's simply paperwork. Except inherent in the claim of a dependent- would be that you've been paying their bills. You've been... See, you're getting too far into the details. The IRS only wants to know, do you claim them? They're just looking at the piece of paper, right? Yeah. Uh, I think they're actually assuming that you've spent food, shelter money, clothing money. You have a water heater. You're paying for the gas. Details. The water. So after spending 5000 to have a dependent child, you then would get a tax return. Of maybe seven fifty or whatever. Well, if you 
cut in like 20% for the, the parent that lets you use their child for this paperwork, mm-hmm. it's fine. Yeah. Everyone's happy. The IRS never knew because we talked about how they're overworked. Let's, let's just be clear hmm? for all the listeners out there. Dr. Matt loves the IRS and would never do <laughs> what Terry's saying to do. I'm not, I'm not saying. I'm saying he may have a point. I don't know. You were, you were telling me about how you filed your taxes the other day, and it seemed a little sketchy. No. Really? Was, I actually haven't filed my taxes. It was, it was totally above board. Uh, Terry's social security number, hey, if hey. the IRS is looking <laughs> hey. for numbers, 298-14-2272. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you just outed somebody else with that false <laughs> social security number. Seems like, Larry, write this down. <laughs> this is good stuff. Some guy in Missouri is like, why did my identity just disappear? So if, you know. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come Don't claim another person's child as your dependent. Yeah, that's probably asking for uh, an audit of some kind. Yeah. No matter what, you're going to pay for that one. He did. Hey, another thing is, if you're going to ask, don't ask on Craigslist. The feds are all over Craigslist. The feds, the feds are the number one subscribers to Craigslist. They're that's everywhere. great analysis. Thank you. Nobody. You're always on top of these things. No department in any company in any organization has more people per page on Craigslist than the feds. And half of them are actually there doing their job. The other half are just searching for stuff. Right. Awkward. Hey, um, we uh, got a great show coming up. Do you do you believe in luck? Are you a, are you guys into luck? I mean, like Ben always like I'm so unlucky in love. Like he was just saying that. And we you know, we've been I don't know. We ben. had a team meeting yesterday, and yeah. as uh, you had to step out. Yeah. But afterwards, I, I meeting was over, so I left. I went to do something else, and I came back because I needed to grab something from the studio, and all the producers. Yeah. Who we know are, uh, we have, uh, what, four female producers yeah. and two male producers. Ben and Joe are the male producers. Ben was in, in the, the waiting area and like three female producers are crowding around him trying to force him to give up the name of the girl that they, he's been. They were, they were bullying me actually. It you, was, you mean the imaginary girl that you've been dating? There's a girl he's texting that he has some sort of, yeah. you know. Like, there's a there's, there's a relationship of some level, and they were trying to force the no, name out of him. I know it. You, you want me to give you the name? It's simple. Mother. <laughs> it's his mother. His mom. Well, well, besides her. No, but, there's no one else. Father. He's not. What? Apparently, there, apparently there is a, a, a woman of his age that he has contacted yeah. And he communicates with on a regular basis. Uh, I think today everything you think is wrong day. Okay. I would assume that what you're now thinking is wrong. Okay. Well, okay. I, I was giving Ben some benefit of the doubt. I appreciate it, Maybe Terry. he's a, attracted a female in the wild, but apparently that is not the case. Possibly. Well, just possibly. Maybe. Allegedly. <laughs> it's like National Geographic. A female in the wild. <laughs> nobody, knows, nobody knows Ben better than I do. Nobody. <laughs> I understand. And, you right, Ben? <laughs> and there's no way he's got a girlfriend right now. I would know. I mean, I know it's a stretch, but I was just going with what the facts were I mean, yesterday. it would definitely negatively impact his work, sure. 
which has been going on for as long as Ben, ben, ben has been here. So he's either had a girlfriend the entire time or mm-hmm. there's nothing going on. So Ben does not have a girlfriend. No. Okay. Well, nope. I guess it's been established. Thank you for for clearing that up, Matt. You bet. Ben is trying to get a girlfriend by telling all the other girls on the staff that he has a girlfriend. And then all the girls glom on like, oh, tell us about her. Well, that's a smart move. It's but a brilliant wouldn't, move. Wouldn't that be counterproductive? Not really. Because they, they may sense competition. Yeah. Uh, we see? always want the people we can't have, Ben. Yeah. Right? Anyway, so uh, today... And you got to do everything you can to make yourself more attractive because these <laughs> hoodies every day? Come on. I know. Yeah, he wears a hoodie every day. Every day. By the way, if you want to see our team, our staff, oh. go to Facebook and look up Matt... The Just look up Matt Townsend and you'll find on my Facebook page... A beautiful picture of our entire staff. The entire staff. And I want you and to look Dawn. closely. And Don. Don is Don's staff, really. We are Don's staff. Yeah. Uh, and I want you to look really closely at the guy standing on the back row on the far left. He's got a red hoodie and red a backpack. Hoodie. That is Ben. And if you look close enough, you will notice his eyes are closed. He's taking a nap. I, he, I he was purposely trying to sabotage no, that photo. He fell asleep while he was standing there. Only something that horses can do. Hmm. Sleeping while and cows, standing. apparently. Yeah. So uh, anyway, go can check that out. Can we do some bin tipping? Oh, we ought to try that. Wow, bin tipping. Cow tipping, but yeah. this is here, so bin tipping. I'd like to see you try. That'd be interesting to try. <laughs> I'll kick that around next staff meeting and see if we can Dude, set that up. You're going to want to go look that picture up on Facebook. Just look up Matt Townsend. You'll see it. And you, then you'll realize, see, these wonderful women are on our staff and Ben, they all gather around. Mm. Ben could date Again, some playing, of them. Again, playing hard to get in the picture, he's on the other I know. side. I know. Which is why I know he doesn't have a girlfriend. It's right? all a strategy. I, it's great. It's great. Yeah. I think you're going to win out in the end. It's, we, it's game theory, Matt. It's game theory. And, and we'll actually, yeah, we're, we're going to just find out if you're lucky or not uh, with our next guest who's going to talk about luck in relationships. How really, it may not be about luck. It may just be about your game. We'll talk about that. Uh, Suzanne Deggs White will be joining us. But first, Terry, let's get to the headlines. What's going on around the rest of the world? Thanks, Matt. Jerry Springer says there's really only one difference between his TV show and the Republican presidential race. The people who appear on his show aren't running for president. If you look closely at the screen, you won't find one person there running for president. That's the difference, Springer said, who was once a Democratic mayor of Cincinnati, Ohio, and interviewed on CNN Tuesday. In fact, Springer says that the GOP debates are very similar to his show. They're absolutely right. In fact, when I first started watching the Republican debates, I said that, you know, if they're going to do my show, they should start paying me. It's one thing to have a television show like that, but that's not how you run a country. I think he has a good point. Honestly, let me just get this straight. Jerry Springer is back. This is why this is the circus. Well, it hasn't been. Well, that's no, but he's they're comparing it to. Right. But Jerry Springer is. He's now being asked political advice again. Right. It's crazy. They also said his show's been on for 25 years. Wow. And still going strong. Yeah. Yeah. Late, late at night, because that's when they watch it. Donald Trump has announced that he will not be attending the next Republican debate on March 21st. John Kasich says he will not attend if Trump does not appear. So John Kasich won't do it. Really? Yeah. And Ted Cruz has yet to weigh in. Well, why on earth would you not just show up? You're going to get all of this time. I don't know. He says he will not be there if Trump does not appear. Oh, John Kasich, you need to focus, brother. 
So we'll see if there's any more Republican debates okay. to, to pull from there. President Obama is announcing his nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court at a press conference that is happening as we speak. Uh, it's believed that Judge Merrick Garland, who serves at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit Court, will be the nominee. Huh. Uh, let's see. With the result of Super Tuesday 3, it looks like we are headed towards a Donald Trump-Hillary Clinton general election. That's just fine with the majority of Republican voters in Tuesday's five states. According to early exit polls in each state, Ohio, Florida, Illinois, Missouri, and North Carolina, at least 53% of Republican voters and 57 percent of voters in all five states said they are satisfied with a Trump Clinton general election. 37 percent said they would seriously consider voting for a third party candidate. Yeah. Hmm. So, you know, 57 percent. We're good. That'll be fine. (laughs) I think it'll be just the right amount of chaos. Safe spaces may become empty spaces at the University of Missouri, where officials acknowledge an Expected sharp decline in enrollment next fall is due at least in part to the protests that rocked the campus last fall. The school is braced for a 25% drop in new students coming uh, this fall, forcing the institution to enact painful budget cuts as well as hiring and salary freezes. The decline in, enro- in enrollment is estimated to be as much as 150,000 or 1,500 students this fall. The school is cutting its budget by 5% in an effort to make up two-thirds of the $32 million shortfall in their mm. budget. This all according to the Columbia Daily Tribune. Remember the protests yeah. they had? There was a teacher out there stopping the media from getting into a safe space. She's been fired from her job right, and, right. and all uh. this. So now they're seeing an enrollment shortage. Part of it has to do with low graduation rates from high school in the area, but they think that the uh, the media coverage there has pulled people away from oh. going to that school. Well, And in some news I think you will find especially what? important, what? Matt, a bill to recognize magic as a rare and valuable art form and national treasure was introduced into the House of Representatives on Tuesday. Huh. Yes, the bill... Claims that magic has not been properly recognized as a great American art form, nor has it been accorded the the institutional status on a national level commiserate with its value and importance. The text of the House resolution states that magic is an art form with the unique power and potential to impact the lives of all people, adding that magicians are visual storytellers who seamlessly interweave elements of mystery, wonder, emotion, and expression. (laughs) The bill also praises the influence of magic has on art, cinema, technology, and education. Mm. So this is what, this is the legislation we're passing. Yes. Okay. Recognizing magic as a national treasure couldn't agree more and we need a sorting hat so that we can start sorting through all of our congressmen our senators to see which ones we should keep and which ones that make legislation like this (laughs) should be tossed magic magic yes we need to celebrate the dark arts (laughs) of magic Wow, okay, whatever, whatever. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we'll be talking about uh, luck. How you can become the lucky one that finds that, you know, that perfect partner for you. Ah, If you think your relationship luck is wearing thin or, you know, non-existent, stick with us. We'll be talking about relationships and luck. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day, a day all about green gold and luck. And if you feel like you're never the one to find that pot of gold at the end of your relationship rainbow, well, you're not alone. Sometimes we see other people so happy in life and love, and we wonder how everyone else ends up so lucky. Why do they tend to find that beautiful spouse, or why is their uh, you know, doting fiancé so amazing and you just got dumped? Well, Dr. Suzanne Deggs-White, professor and chair of the Counseling Adult and Higher Ed Department at Northern Illinois University, joins us today to explain why some people seem so lucky in relationships compared to others who just can't find that uh, pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Dr. Suzanne Deggs-White, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Thank you very much, Matt. I'm pleased to be here. We love having you on. You you bring us so much insight. Uh, Talk to us about this concept of luck. Does it exist? You know, we want to believe that luck exists because when we do, it takes a lot of responsibility off of our shoulders if we assume that life is going to hand us what we need. But really, luck is about knowing what to do at the right moment and putting yourself in the right place at the right time. Mm. So, so luck is more about personal action than the world smiling on you and giving you everything you think you want. So it might be that, I guess, luck are, are these people that maybe just navigate life a little better or they might be more proactive. Is that what it is then? Part of that is that that is true. Yeah, you know, if we navigate, we can't we can't have good things happen to us if we don't put ourselves out in the world. And so, people who we think, oh, they're so lucky, everybody loves to be around them. Well, what they're doing is what is drawing people to them. And so, we have to remember what action are we taking that will bring to us the good hmm. things that we want in life. Yeah, I guess we'd rather attribute it to some you know generic kind of I don't know. Ethereal concept like luck than just putting yourself yeah. out there. Yeah, it takes a lot of work and energy, really, to promote for many of us to build the lives we want. And if we think we're not lucky in love, it keeps us from having to put ourselves at the risk of rejection as well. Mm. That is, that's it's true, isn't it? It's just yeah. it, it just resonates. So, are there things then that we can do to to put ourselves in a better position? There, there, there are certainly a few things we can do. You know, number one is to take action. There's a saying that fa- fa- fortune favors the bold, and if we don't get out there and take action and put ourselves into the path of possibility, then we're not going to have any um, payoff. Yeah. If we don't act, we don't get a payoff. So being willing to take action is really important in life. And it doesn't, I mean, that that action could be on your job, and then you're lucky you get a really good job, or it could be right. on your dating life. It could be in anything. It could be really, you know, it could be in your friendship circle, your family relationships. It could be your job. It could be academic areas. If you want a better job and you don't start looking, it's doubtful it's going to come to you. Hmm. What right. about What about somebody that's just introverted and... They a bold act forward might be perceived as them by them as just uh, you know showboating or yeah undoable right yeah 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 impossible yeah. Um, and and for many people who are introverted you know, introversion is if we look at you know the kind of the basic psychological concept it's for pe- introverts draw energy from being on their own and reflecting where extroverts draw energy from being out among other people well sometimes we're going to have to spend energy to be able to get the, the results we want so then you know, as an introvert myself you know if I put myself 
out there, a lot more opportunities are going to happen than if I just stay back in my own little safe zone Mm -hmm. and don't risk rejection or don't risk success. So introverts, yeah, it's hard for many of us to put ourselves out there to be bold. But if we don't take a chance, we're not gonna we're not gonna reap reward. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can take a very calculated chance, right? Like, I mean, you write, you're an author, and you put you put stuff out there, but it's not like you haven't thought it through. Right. Yeah. You you have to reflect. You have to you have to build. You know, sometimes you have to draw up your energy. You have to really convince yourself that this is the right step to take, whatever that step might be. You know, even. you think about people who have admired someone from afar for years in, in romance, but they're too afraid to you know, strike up a conversation. This may have been their moment, you know, their lucky break to find the perfect romance, perfect true love for themselves. But if they're not willing to make the first move, then that relationship might never happen. Mm, that's so true. So we can take action, and, and that, would, that would kind of pick us up a bit. What are some other things we should be doing to, I guess, improve the likelihood of a little luck? Well, one thing, you need to know what you want in life so that when it arrives, you're actually able to recognize it. Yeah. Um, Sometimes, you know, we'll say, oh, boy, I didn't know what a good thing I had until I let it go. Or I didn't know what a wonderful person that person was until, you know, after we broke up. Or, boy, that was a great job, but I walked away from it. Or, boy, I let this friend down. There's so many times in life where we have had good fortune and good things have happened to us, but because of our own belief that maybe this isn't good enough, maybe I don't deserve this, maybe I don't know what I need yet, we let good things get away from us. And sometimes I think one of those regrets is what we let slip through our fingers. Mm. And so being really aware of what you need in your life and kind of you, you hear about gratitude lists. Yeah. Sometimes you know, taking stock of what you do have in your life and what you're grateful for can help you begin to recognize, you know, what where you have been fortunate in life, what your good fortune truly is. Instead so really, of, yeah, and being like proactive about it, because the benefit of the list is you could do it every day. What are three things you saw today that you're grateful for? Yeah. And, you know, it's not hard to do. Once you, it's funny, you know, people, as a counselor, I've worked with a lot of people, and the people who I see generally are not happy in their lives. But when they're encouraged to write gratitude lists, one, one client one time mentioned that now she has Zen moments where she kind of stops in her day and recognizes, you know, all the beauty that exists in her, in her world, in her life, and, and the things she's enjoying. And I think by calling our attention to what our good fortune truly is, it can change your whole perspective. Mm-hmm. It's, well, it's really powerful. Because next to you is somebody standing there thinking you're lucky because, oh, right. look at her hair. She's so lucky. Yeah. Her hair yeah. is so pretty. And then, so that's this, this rotate, this view of lucky, I guess, is rotating through all of us. It, you know, it is. I don't, I think it's human nature to, to aspire to be better. And however we see being better modeled for us is what we begin to think we want. It's like the commercials kids see from early on in TV. You know, oh, you know, if I, if I, you know, if I was so-and-so, I'd be lucky because I'd have whatever the newest cool thing from leapfrogs up to iPad watches to whatever it might be because we begin to think other people are luckier because they have these possessions yeah. or these relationships. And it's because we're not taking stock of, you know, what 
what we need and what we have in our own lives. But mm. we, do, we do think other people, we, do, we want to believe that luck happens, because again, that takes responsibility off of us to make our own luck happen. Oh, that's so true, so true. Let's take a break. More with Dr. Suzanne Deggs-White. Uh, she is walking us through an article we found on her Psychology Today blog called Lifetime Connections. The name of the article is Who Gets Lucky in Love and How You Can Join Them. Stick with us, folks. We'll uh, continue the discussion on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, do you feel like you are lucky in love, lucky in life? Will our uh, our guest, Dr. Suzanne, oh boy, I'm getting, okay, I'm getting um, interrupted by talent from the next show here, Jerem Jordan. Anyway, sorry, n- not to digress. Hey, here's the deal. Dr. Suzanne Deggs-White joins us, and uh, she is uh, got a wonderful blog on psychology today called Lifetime Connections. We love having her on our show. She's just got a ton of information and insight. She's been a professional counselor as well, and she is a professor and chair of the Counseling Adult and Higher Ed Department, Education Department at Northern Illinois University. Uh, Suzanne, we appreciate you being back. Thank you so much. Sorry for the interruption, but uh, we just have, it's pretty loose around here. Yeah. Yeah, well, hey, it's Wednesday morning. It Let is it Wednesday morning. Yeah. It's it's the day after Super Tuesday, the third. Right, right. Hey, um, in fact, that hit Illinois hard, by the way. Um, that was great. Hey, yeah. talk to me about, uh, you were telling us about one of the keys to, to kind of managing your own luck in life is you got to act, you got to do stuff, you got to get out and get busy, but you also have to kind of know what you want and notice what's happening that's good in your life. Absolutely. You have to be aware of the good stuff that's going on as well as taking off your blinders and sharpening your metaphorical peripheral vision. Mm. Um, By that, I mean, you know, a lot of things, you know, you hear about people saying, wow, it was a lucky break. I almost, you know, I almost missed my train or almost didn't meet this person. And a lot of times we kind of look at that as luck, but sometimes it's we've raised our awareness of what's going on around us instead of being so focused on the minutia of the day that we're able to find good fortune in the world around us. Hmm. Things we might not expect, we're attuned to because we don't, we've taken off our blinders in life. It's so true. You could be a single mom and be so frustrated because of your marriage failing and yet not see other things have lined up perfectly for you. Right. You know, the, the, the expression, when the Lord closes a door, he opens a window. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that idea that sometimes if we keep trying to open that door that's shut, we're forgetting that there's maybe a, a half a dozen windows that we might go out and find something even different and more and more appropriate for what we need. Yeah. So being, it's we I joke about your know, Spider-Man and Spidey senses tingling. Well, sometimes we have to kind of listen to what we're picking up. We don't really have words for, uh-huh. and so letting your peripheral vision, you know, being aware all around you. It, it's I mean, and again, that's that's doable. This isn't. I mean, yeah. I guess is it lucky to to be aware? I mean, how many times have you been trying to find a parking place? Right. And then you find one right in the perfect place, right yeah. where you wanted it. And that may just have been because you were paying attention. 
Right. You were paying attention. You waited for someone to pull out. Right. You know, you, did, you didn't storm off and say, I'm going to go find a lot <laughs> further away. I'm just right. going to go ahead. I'm just going to hang out here, and it's going to magically open. Um, and it does magically open. I, it's, it's kind of funny in life that if we, if we stop and, and kind of take stock all around us, we're going to see 360 degrees of our existence where many of us are really limited to kind of like a 45-degree angle of where we're going next, forgetting that you know, there are things that surround us that are better for us than what we think we want. Mm, I love that. That is huge advice. Yeah. Um, why and what else? What else should we be doing? Because I, it seems like every one of these also puts the ball back in my court. Right. Instead right. of me placing all my supposed future luck in someone else's court. Yeah, you know, and, and it is really up to us. People will say, you know, you have to make your own luck. And other people will say, well, the Lord only helps those who help themselves. And right. again, it's put, you know, there, there is support for us. You know, you want, you want to find a new partner. There's a wonderful collection of online, you know, very reliable, very successful um, single sites online. But you're not going to be getting any calls or getting any texts if you don't get yourself out there and, and make yourself available. Mm. I'm not advertising that way of finding a partner, but but most of the, you know, you, there's community organizations. That's another one. Um, building your geographical or virtual network, you've really got to be a player in, in your life if you really want to get a starring role. It's so true. If you want to walk on part in your own life, yeah. well, that, that, that's kind of, the, the, the good things aren't going to happen to you because you might not have a name. You might not have a, a line. You may just kind of walk through life like an extra, but you know, being willing to kind of take center stage and lead the life that, that you feel you were meant to leave is, is essential, and it is putting the ball back into someone else's court. Mm. And uh, again, the network, the more you know, the more people you know, right. and the more proactive you are. I mean, so it, this all builds on itself. So now you have a bigger network where you're taking action, and you're exploring what you want, and you're sharpening right. your vision. I mean, and this people is... are connecting with you. That's you it. Know, people are knowing you. It's funny, you know, the, 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 about building your social network. I, I know that the best jobs I've landed back before I became an academic were because I knew the right person, and and the other parts being in the right place at the right time. And those are things. Not that I'm more qualified, less. Qual- it's not comparing qualifications, but it's being available when an opportunity presented itself to take hmm. advantage of it. And, you know, that's how luck happens. It's it's speaking to that person you find attractive and you see at, you know, the coffee shop every morning or the person who's got the dog you think is adorable and stopping, you know, to, to pat the dog and striking up a conversation. There's so many ways in life that, you know, we can increase our luck. You know, it's not, you know, it's good fortune that you're pat crossing paths, but the luck is really about taking action and, and bu- building a bridge to that um Kind of like the pot of gold you talked about. Yeah, is yeah. the pot of gold, is it a relationship? Is it a better job? Is it having a better relationship with your children? It's not good luck that any of these happen. It's taking advantage of opportunities that any of us can can realize. And, and that, that uh, little bit of luck by finding that one person that everyone thinks is the most incredible person for you, that also could shift. And um that job could turn bad or that right. relationship could have a major problem. And so this idea of luck, too, you need to be dynamic enough to handle when the conditions shift. Right. You, and that's that, that kind of that peripheral vision I was talking about. Yeah. It's, it's being aware of, you know, what's what's going on and not 
if we assume that we don't have, you know, that, that everything we have will stay the same, it certainly is presumptive to think that we don't have to continue, you know, to work towards anything in life. Right. Um, and being settled and satisfied is one thing, but giving up and assuming that the world will take care of you is, is another altogether. So you've got to stay active. You've got to be aware, you know, if a climate is shifting on the job, be the person who's lucky enough to get out before the company folds. If, if a relationship is, if you feel like, you know, you're not being treated the way you should, be lucky enough, be the lucky person who addresses it or ends a relationship before any real damage is done. Oh, yeah. That's you great. Can, you got to make, you, you do have to make choices and you have to be aware of um, the surroundings. Again, it's that peripheral vision, not assuming because you've got someone who um, to, to, to see every Saturday night is the person that's going to be there for you for 50 years. Mm-hmm. And 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 but the, if you live all of these principles you're teaching, it might increase the likelihood. Yes, it could. Right? It very well could because you know we kind of do draw to us you know what we put out, and if we go through life feeling self confident and feeling that we make good choices, people who will be drawn to us are those who admire people who are self confident. You know, like seeks like in that way. Yeah. That we want to be, we don't want to be with people who feel bad about themselves because that will bring us down. So making mm. sure you project that image of confident self-assurance and the belief that good things, you know, the Zig Ziglar, good things are going to happen to you today, and they will. Yeah, you know, they just, they just will. Suzanne, you've got such a great spirit about you. Thank you. I'm proud of it. I mean, that's so cool because. It's, I mean, you're an academic. Come on, Suzanne. <laughs> Where do you get all this good feeling stuff? But you know, it's right, and it feels good. You know, man, I must be very lucky. <laughs> you are so lucky. I have, I have a belief that you're creating a lot of yeah. all of this. And then blessed from above. Suzanne's got some great uh, books as well. Toxic Friendships, Knowing the Rules and Dealing with Friends Who Break Them, as well as Friends Forever, Mothers and Daughters, just... All of these wonderful uh, different topics. Go look her up on Psychology Today, Suzanne Deggs-White. And uh, Suzanne, again, thank you for being with us. We'll have you back, I'm sure. Uh, Suzanne Deggs-White, good stuff. We're going to take a break and go visit our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. We're going to find out what Jerem was pointing out. Something on his shirt looked like a salamander. I bet it's that crazy dragon that he brought up yesterday. Ooh, we're going to get to that. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You little hound dogs. We're going to shoot it down to our good buddies down at uh, BYU Sports Nation, Spencer Linton and Trogdor, the Burninator, Jerem Jordan. Hello, gentlemen. What's up? Spencer will be here momentarily. Good. Hey, uh, you walk by my window mm-hmm. while I'm in mid-conversation. Yeah. And you, oh, I know. you were showing me the shirt. Was that Trogdor on your shirt? Yes. This is my Trogdor shirt. I wore it. Oh, I wish I could have paid attention. It's a fantastic shirt. Thank you. And it does have Trogdor, the Burninator. And are you playing the song? We are. A little Trogdor, the Burninator. Got the and the in the back there. Now, um, you 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 must like this because you bought a T-shirt. Yeah. Okay. So it came out uh, while I was on my LDS mission and early at BYU, but I. 
I didn't really get into it. It's like if you and your friends didn't watch Napoleon Dynamite like at the time, mm-hmm. someone had to introduce you to that later. Okay. Okay. So Homestar Runner, I didn't really get into it till like a year ago. Oh really? I, really, I the, like it's it, been that long. Like it passed over me and yeah. So one day Spencer's like, dude, you gotta watch this. So we watched Trogdor and I'm like, this is amazing. So I think that day I ordered a shirt online. Well, hold on. Let me let me clarify something. When you say this is amazing, what were what was amazing it's to you? Hilarious. Oh, just funny. It's just funny. Yeah, yeah, that's that. I totally agree. Yeah, I would buy the shirt just because it's so funny. Extremely. Yeah, I just thought this. Is hilarious. I thought you were thinking the song, the music. Did you watch? Also, did you watch the fun. whole sketch? Man, have you no. Seen the whole no. Where it originated from? No. I'll need to go do that, I guess. I'm trying yeah, to do research. I'll DM that to you. Okay, do that. Do that. And then I'll have Terry get my DM and then come show me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how uh, hip I am. Okay. Just send it to my people, and then my people will then email it to me where I will be able to access it. No, you don't know how to access it. Access it. Ben, you're not supposed to talk while I'm talking. Wow. <laughs> We've been fighting this all day. Wow. Um, we we had hard. a BYU social media thing happen with us. What? So, Jeff Judkins. Yeah, Juddy Face. Okay, Juddy oh, Face. Oh, dude, it is going So nuts. yesterday, <laughs> BYU Sports Station tweeted out a Photoshopped cutout yeah. of Juddy and said, okay, send us your best, you know, Juddy in different situations. Yeah. It has been so funny. So <laughs> funny. I mean, Noah's Ark. Oh, really? Mount Rushmore. Uh, the Hail Mary against Nebraska. Uh, the Abraham Lincoln Memorial in D.C. Like <laughs> j- um, in uh, Wayne's World, Forrest Gump, all this stuff. It has been so funny. Well, what what is so Ju- funny? What does Juddy say? He loves it. He tweeted about it last night. He's like, "Keep them coming. These are hilarious." And Holy cow! These point. are good. I'm looking at it. <laughs> Juddy, <laughs> these are great. I wish it was under like one hashtag, but you could just at BYU Sports Nation has been retweeting the really funny ones, like. You know that that post of all the guys on a um, construction site in like the twenties or whatever, yeah, yeah. skyscraper, uh-huh. eating lunch. Juddy's sitting there with them. You know, just really funny stuff from Wayne's fans. World. <laughs> this is so great. So, does he? Is that the Juddy face that when that that's the face when they saw where they were placed in the rankings for the for the NCAA tournament? That's the face he made. That's the face he made the moment he found out. Now he then he then smiled and clapped a little bit. But he told us yesterday on the show that he was nervous that they weren't going to get in because I believe that was the second to last team announced. Oh, really? So, so he thought, how could they what not if we get, don't in? get in? Yeah. No, they were going to get in, but yeah, he's there with he's there with uh, Muhammad Ali. I mean, yeah, yeah. this is great. Pretty awesome, right? Well, Judkins rocks. That's cool. See, you guys, you're that famous. now, Or are you lucky? We just had a guest no, on. The fans have been responsive. But, That's where the credit is. But again, do you guys, do you consider yourself lucky people or are you just that good? I, yeah, luck is like random, but I also believe in the Roberto Clemente quote that luck is when preparation meets, meets opportunity. Yes. Mm. Yes. Like or lucky people aren't lazy people. No, they're hard not. Work, people, hard work meets like, opportunity. Like, yeah, oppor- yeah. Make your own luck. Yeah. 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 Wow. You guys, have you ever thought of just going on a speaking tour or anything? No. The <laughs> fact that we do the show every day is we don't got time for that, of, man. Nobody got time for that. Uh, I do. We're not a doctor. Go like downstairs. You. Get me a cold pop. <laughs> 
Why is everyone laughing out there? I don't know. Lauren Frankham's here. Is that she it? Was laughing. Did you hear her? I heard her. Lauren, they heard you. Just so you know. Tell her to keep it down. She said, "Oh, good. Whoops." Trying to do a show here. I know Jerem. <laughs> I know Jerem DM'd you the YouTube link. I have also uh, emailed your. I have tweeted you, Matt, the link to the actual website with the uh, the email attached. Oh my heavens! You guys are great. Yeah. I will be so glad when my people bring that into me. <laughs> then I can see it. When my people deliver the goods. Hey, um, anything... Bring me a goblet of something cool and refreshing. <laughs> you just sounded like Job. <laughs> Not Job, what gob? It's real magic, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are... You know what? That's just good listening. There's a, there's a guy on our... Um, on our Production staff. He's like the head of production, Michael mm-hmm. Hunter. Every time I see him, I say, hello, Michael. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Does he get it? Does he get the depth I of that joke? I think so. If he doesn't, he probably thinks I'm, well, he probably thinks I'm weird anyway. I don't well, really sure. care. But, I mean, who doesn't, Jerem? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Damon Stoudemire to Pacific. What? Uh, new head coach of Pacific in the Western really? Conference. Damon Stoudemire, yeah. longtime NBA player. Yeah. So that's is an he, interesting Is move. he going to be a good coach? Uh, no, he'll, because it's Pacific. He'll be a good recruiter. <laughs> no, it's because it's Pacific. No, because it's Stockton. Listen, Pacific did some good things when they were in the Big West. Like they were, they're an okay program. Is yeah. there anything anyone wants more than to be classified as an okay program? They've got some NCAA tournament history, you know. So does Yale in the forties. <laughs> Yale well, Yale, today. Yale Don't disrespect Yale, guys. Oh, they the, no, they they're in the Ivy. They're in the thir- Ivy Thursday games. They're a twelve seed. You know well, what? They, well, they got in. You know? um, are you? Are you? Have you guys done brackets? Yeah. Who, who, who do you? You've only done one. I just did. One. I have not I filled, filled out one. a bracket yet. Nope. I filled out yesterday in like five minutes. I'll fill mine out time. today. Uh, I usually do five of them. And nice. um, yeah, uh, who do you have winning the whole thing? I don't even remember. You don't? It's gonna, I just. I don't care. Do you want to know who's going to win it? Do I want to know? I'll let you know who's right now. Win it, Matt. Kansas. Who's you and Barry. That's the safe pick. It's not the safe pick. Do you do you ever go over the speed limit? Dorothy's from Kansas. Yeah. A lot of miracles came out of Kansas. Yeah? <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> I'm like, keep, I can't keep, think of, Keep going. Like, I can't think no, of that's all I got. <laughs> Dorothy, Kansas. They're going to they're going to take it. Just letting you know. Kansas is a perennial choke job in the NCAA tournament. They are. That's blasphemy. If they if you They've told won me the national tell me, championship, Jerem, like tell me, recently. Tell me the be- I know, but the, like a lot of times they lose earlier than you think. So does Duke. Kansas. So does BYU. So does Duke. Duke traditionally will at least make like a final four run. Ask Jabari Parker. Yeah. They lost to Mercer the year after BYU beat him in the NIT. I remember. Did I did I start a fight between you no, guys? Duke Duke greater than Kansas the last ten years. I know this is Kansas's year. Though. Wow, I think that's debatable, man, for sure. We're not time for this. Hey, um, you guys still doing your show? Yeah, you can talk oh, yeah. about your. You can talk about Kansas on your show. We're gonna, yeah, we're going to talk about what tonight's game in the NIT for BYU against Alabama yeah. means yeah. for the season. Like it, to me, if BYU loses, there's there's some significance to that. If they win, yeah. We'll we'll break down what it means. It it could be Kyle Collins with the last game BYU. Oh, that's not, true, huh? I mean, there's a lot going on tonight. They'll win tonight. The NIT not relevant, but there's some value to this game, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Littlewood, baseball coach, join us. They beat Utah six nothing yesterday. Sixteen and one, baby. They're gonna move up even more. 
They Talk, might move if up. They keep yeah. winning against Pacific yeah. when they open conference play. Yeah, that's uh, tomorrow. Pacific. You just said Pacific. anybody can beat Damon Pacific. Damon Stoudemire's Pacific Tiger. That's right. Oh my heavens! Maybe we'll get him on the phone during. This the is game. cool. This is cool. What else? Anything else on the show? And then uh, Jeff Chapman, former BYU basketball mm-hmm. great, he will join us. His son Jordan plays on the team. Jeff was on the team in 1988 that lost to UAB when BYU was number two and number one had lost that day. BYU was going to be number one in the nation in men's basketball. And they lost that day to UAB. So we're going to try and uh, exercise the demons. Not yes, to Wob. With Jeff Chapman today. Yep. It's hard to lose to Wob. They won't lose tonight. Wob. Oh, my gosh. I've got a good feeling about wob. it. Wob. Well, gentlemen, thank you. Trogdor, appreciate your time. Yep. Uh, you, Bane, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, Matthew. <laughs> Never a dull <laughs> moment. We're going to leave with a little... <laughs> Jerem Sachs. Knock him dead, guys. <laughs> Why? Truck tour. Have a great show, man. (laughs) See, they're all they're they're ready now. They're all jazzed up. Actually, we didn't pump them up that time. We got them in a fight. Ben, make a note. Uh, Let's not get those two in a fight tomorrow. It's not a. Yeah, thank you for writing it on the chalkboard. Uh, Let's make sure Jerem and Spencer stay unified, loving, positive, and hopeful for a good show. Okay. Not get them bogged down in it. Define hopeful. Nope. Not going to do that. Kansas. I just threw out the Kansas thing and it turned because their brains, they're like, they're, they're these incredible machines and the machines started dueling. It's like a robot. It's like a robot war. Or a Trogdor war. Yeah. Say that five times. No. I'm no, not. really. I want, you, I want you to say that five times. That's okay. Hey, by the way, this just in. Uh, Terry has now officially forwarded to me, to my email, the messages that were sent through my Twitter. Why didn't he DM it to you? Because I don't have access to my own Twitter handle. Or page. you can't open it. <laughs> ben? <laughs> you're walking You're walking on thin ice, pal. Thin ice! Hey, uh, here's a story for you. Canadian plumber. Canadian plumber finds a $50,000 gold brick in a bathroom. A pair of Canadian plumbers literally struck gold after finding $50,000 gold brick while renovating a client's bathroom. Alif Babul and his employees, Dean Materi, discovered a one-kilogram gold brick while performing a bathroom renovation in Calgary in mid-February. The two plumbers discovered the gold brick underneath a pile of rubble and nearly threw it out in the trash before realizing that, what? I seen a gold shimmering thing on the ground, and I thought it was copper light fixture, Materi told the Calgary Sun. But when I went to shovel it up, it seemed kind of heavy. I picked it up, and it was a gold brick. So let's be really clear. Materi's the guy that found it, but he's the employee. So he works for the boss, and the boss is like, hey, look, you found a gold brick for us. Yeah, I've I've never found such a valuable brick in my... Bathroom? Yeah. Well, look harder. If I were you, Ben... Go home today, tear up the floor. It's going to be there. I'll try. Good stuff. Hey, as you know, we always like to end on a hero story. And uh, who better to be our hero today than Andrew Tornabine from Lorraine, Ohio? Listen to the story. Two-year-old Lana Louther went missing around 9 a.m. at night. She disappeared from her house wearing only footed pajamas, Police and volunteers helped by helicopters, tracking dogs, and thermal imaging cameras searched for hours. They stopped looking around 1 a.m. 
But that's when Andrew Tornabeen made a decision that probably saved the young person's life. Tornabeen was driving home from his sister's house and decided on a whim to take an alternate route home. He thought it might he might try finding the missing girl he'd heard about on social media. Just minutes later, about a half mile from her home, Tornabeen found little Lana stumbling around in the snow. He went out of his car and carried her into the vehicle to warm up, then called the police. Lana had been outside in the 22-degree weather for almost four hours. She was taken to the hospital with signs of exposure, but she's now doing just fine. Police are not sure how Lana was able to leave her home or where she was in the hours she was missing, but to her family, it doesn't matter. They're just glad she's home safe and sound, and they're thankful for that one man who decided to take the detour. Andrew Tornabeen, you are the hero of the day on The Matt Townsend Show. We uh, we all have heroes, folks, and sometimes you just get that prompting to do something different, and many times that can make all the difference. As you learned on the show, uh, luck is something we make by working harder. We also um, uh, took on a whole different understanding about life, especially when it comes to um, the deeper things in life. One of the things we always try to do on the show is help you see the good in the world. And uh, it's there, folks. You just got to be willing to look uh, deeply for it. We'll be back again tomorrow. We can't do the show without you. So please join us again tomorrow. Look us up on iTunes, on TuneIn. Go follow us on the Matt Townsend Facebook page or uh, just find us any way you can. Look us up at BYURadio.org. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until tomorrow, take care. Watch each other's backs, and uh, let's make it a great one.